It's that time, the Betting Predators podcast, where our main objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Chris Dell, for this podcast here with Steve Reeder at Avoid the Vig. You can find me on Twitter at Mad Journalist. That's M-A-D-D Journalist with two Ds. Steve and I are here to do a little bit of a hybrid episode. We're going to be previewing week three in terms of power ratings, best bets on the board, player props to look out for, even though player prop lines have not come out yet. We've only had lines for Thursday night football at the moment. We're here recording Tuesday night, Eastern time around 8.30 p.m. Um, you know, we're going to do a little bit of half recap, half preview, kind of look at, you know, what are the things we're taking away most from week two in football now that we've got the Monday night football game under our belts heading into the third week of the NFL regular season. Uh, Steve, we're just going to run straight down the board here. I, I want—I don't want to touch too much on the Thursday night football game, but I want to start there first so we can kind of make our way down the list. The Giants, 29 at Washington, 30. Washington eked it out right there at the end. A lot of people say the Giants should have won that game. Uh, what takeaways do you have in terms of your power ratings? Any adjustments that you're making, uh, making there, you know, up or down for either team? Or is this the type of, you know, tightly contested divisional game uh, that you were expecting here regardless of the outcome? I left Washington where they were. Uh, like you mentioned, that there's a lot of people that said the Giants should have won. And in some respects, when the clocks hit zero, the Giants did win the game. And obviously there was a penalty on the field, which then gave Washington an additional chance to win the game, which they obviously came through with. I actually left Washington where they were, which is two points less than a uh, the, the, an average team. For the Giants, and this is could be a little bit controversial in this respect, I actually upgraded them a half of a point. And, and the rationale for that is I, I thought the Giants, and, and it's proven to be correct, were going to struggle to start the year. They had some problems uh, with injuries, with people getting on the same page. They had a lot of new free agent signings, uh, Saquon getting back to health. These are all things that take time for cohesion uh, there. Now, there are certainly some concerns that I have in that respect. Uh, for instance, you, you probably saw the infighting uh, where G- Galladay was screaming at, which we thought was Daniel Jones at the time. It's now been reported that it was the assistant coach he was screaming at. Uh, that is still a major concern for me. I don't understand why someone that is a free agent that comes to a ne- new team needs to scream uh, when they're well within the game and he's getting that many targets. Uh, so I, I, I do think the Giants have better days ahead of them, even though they are 0-2. For the fifth time, fifth straight time, uh, the Giants have started 0-2. As far as Washington goes, Heineke, I thought looked looked legit. I, I don't obviously there's a downgrade between him and Fitz, which we talked about previously, but he was incredible. McLaurin always torches the Giants, always take his over on receptions. I'm not sure why we didn't give that out just uh, automatically, um, but I, I think the biggest takeaway between these two teams that I'm going to be looking for moving forward is their strength was supposed to be defense, and neither one of them are playing particularly well for the Giants. They're actually 24th in points per game and yards per play. That is not good. You know, Washington actually did a pretty good job against the Chargers in week one. Um, but there was a, obviously that situation with the quarterback going down and getting injured uh, and putting having the Giants put up that many points against them is is a cause for concern, I think, for both teams that are looking to rely on their defense as they move forward throughout the season. Yeah, I hear you 100% with Heineke. Um, you know, I think you could argue that it's definitely not a downgrade in that offense. I don't know if you could say upgrade yet. The sample size is just too small in Fitzpatrick there. But overall, for me, fantasy, DFS, player prop purposes, I think it's time right now that we all buy low on Saquon Barkley while the market gives us the opportunity to do so. Um, You know, you could say, hey, look, you know, take away his 41-yard run. He finishes with 12, 12 carries for 16 yards rushing. 
But that's part of Barkley's game dating back to his college days at Penn State. And this was a relatively tough defense in Washington that they played on primetime television. You know, being, you know, Saquon Barkley's a quote-unquote injured player right now. He was playing on a short week in a division game and still was able to rip off that 41-yard run. Saquon Barkley wanted to play in 84% of the snaps. He ran 71% of the routes on a short week. Now he gets the Atlanta Falcons in week three on 10-plus days of rest. So for me, he's a guy, you know, DraftKings price 6,500 that simply I can't get away from. And when the prop lines come out, he's a guy I'm absolutely looking to, uh, to target when it comes to rushing yards and when it comes to the rushing-receiving yards combo prop, prop that I think could have some value in week three, uh, in, in week three, and the fact that we've gotten suppressed numbers from Barkley to, to start out the season, now we're getting what what looks to be a possible smash spot for Saquon Barkley to really break out uh, against the Falcons there. So that's the main takeaway that I have for the Giants, other than the fact that Sterling Shepard is the wide receiver one in this offense. You actually look back back to 2018 that anytime he's been fully healthy, he's been the clear cut wide receiver one for the Giants playing with different quarterbacks throughout that span. So right now through through two games, Sterling Shepard has 19 targets, good for a 31.3% target share. Galladay and Slayton are essentially uh, alternating the 1A, 1B roles on the outside when they're in three wide receiver sets. And, you know, Galladay is a guy who I ha- one of my favorite season-long prop plays was on his under receiving yards, which is set at about 1,000 yards entering the year. To me, it was, you know, new coach, new quarterback, injury concerns heading into the season. I still do like that play, although he could be a buy low in and of himself in terms of season-long fantasy leagues going forward because his offense is looking better. Daniel Jones right now is a borderline top five, top 10 quarterback with his rushing. So I'm looking towards Daniel Jones rushing props over the fact that he was bothered all last year by a hamstring injury. And that could have been a major reason why we saw that offense struggle in the way that it did. Uh, And then the Giants defense, Steve, you know this better than anyone. I mean, their defense hasn't played that well out of the gates, but uh, going going up against the makeshift offensive line in Atlanta and Matt Ryan, who's basically seems like he's stuck in cement when he drops back. But I will, I will definitely be looking towards some novelty props when it comes to Giants sacks, interceptions uh, against the Falcons. I think this could be a game where the Giants look like a dominant team on both sides of the ball. Uh, going to Washington, for me, you mentioned McLaurin. I mean, 14 targets, 11 catches. You know, obviously he benefited with Heineke under center. Heineke didn't run as much. He looked towards his wide receiver one. And the fact McLaurin did it against one of the, the better defensive backs in James Bradbury – Uh, Really impressed me, and and his stock is clearly on the rise heading into week two. Um, You know, when it comes to Gibson and McKissick, I think this game lended itself to McKissick, the fact that Washington got down and they got down early in this game. Although Gibson is still running more early down routes and getting more targets in the passing game than he did last year. I believe with the defense, with the solid quarterback playing Washington, we're going to be seeing more positive game scripts than not throughout the year. So I do look at Gibson as a buy-low candidate in season long fantasy leagues uh, as well. And then we look at, you know, week uh, three, Washington at Buffalo, Terry McLaurin, he could be lined up a lot against Tredavious White in Buffalo, but if if he was able to do what he did against James Bradbury in week two, I think he'll be able to put up solid numbers, similar numbers, similar numbers in week three, similar type of target share there as well. So moving on to, uh, you know, going from your giants to my Bengals, the Bengals dropped a 17, 20 decision 
at Chicago in week three, where in week two, excuse me, where Burrow was sacked four times with three interceptions uh, and 19 of his 30 passing attempts went to T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. You know, Jamar Chase, who had a big week one, the rookie, he only had four targets. I think he was a clear downgrade in this game due to the pressure that the Bears defensive line was able to put on Burrow, even though he still salvaged his fantasy day with a 42-yard touchdown late in the game. That was a prop that I got burned on the hook. That was one of my favorite plays for week two was Jamar Chase over 54 and a half. With that touchdown, he ends right at 54. Uh, Still a guy that I'll be looking to target in the right type of matchups in terms of his overs uh, because I do believe that he'll be lined closely to Boyd, whereas Higgins is going to be propped up a lot higher in the market. And Chase still has that explosiveness and that chemistry with Joe Burrow. So uh, other than that, there's not too many other takeaways I have uh, with the Bengals. Um, I know a lot of people were high on Cincy. They seem to be like one of those trendy picks going into week two. Uh, but Burrow really struggled, struggled, even though the Bears defense didn't look all that great in week one. Uh, it seemed like they had a kind of a mini turnaround themselves. So what are your overall thoughts? Are people overreacting, underreacting, Steve, to the Bengals Bears? I, I see a lot of people giving out Steelers minus four and a half on Twitter. I think you might be on the other side of that, actually. So so convince me here as a Bengals fan if I should have some optimism because I think you actually might be on the Bengals side of things for week three when they go visit the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Yeah, so let's take a look at this line real quick, right? So Cincinnati lost by three, right? Chicago was embarrassed last week in week one uh, to the Rams. They lost by 20 points. Uh, they're coming back home. They're an 0-1 team against Cincinnati. Everything is the recipe for Chicago to perform well, and they won the game. Kudos to them. Here's the problem. They won by three, only three, but they were plus three in turnovers. Their defense was opportunistic, and basically they won the game because of their defense. Now, Andy Dalton did get hurt in that respect, but is that a downgrade to Fields? If anything, I would say it's almost an upgrade. But if you actually take a look at the stats, neither quarterback had more than 60 yards passing. They had – hold on, let me just double-check here. I'm giving you the, the proper information. 83 total yards passing – and they won the game. David Montgomery had uh, 20 carries for only 61 yards. Allen Robinson, who I I bet the over personally, uh, over five and a half uh, receptions, only got four targets. He wasn't even close. Cincinnati shut the Bears down. Cincinnati even had 1.2 yards per play more than Chicago. It it is astonishing right now that Chicago got the win here with those three-plus turnovers. Now, granted, the Bears' defense is very good. I don't want to take anything away from them. Uh, but Cincinnati's defense is very good as well. You know, they had the week one overtime win versus Minnesota. You could have said, all right, they're going to be fat and happy coming into week two, and this is a letdown spot for them because Chicago's hungry and they're embarrassed. But I thought they played pretty well. Burrow didn't. Because of Burrow's ineptitude, they kind of left them in that spot. But defense is solid. They only gave up 206 yards. The yards per pass for for the quarterbacks, 3.1 for the Bears, which is an embarrassment. Uh, is the Bears' offense ineptitude or is Cincinnati's defense, uh, defensive dominance? I mean, that's really what you're looking at here. Are the Bears that bad or is Cincinnati's defense that good? I, I think it's a little bit of both, but I am very high on Cincinnati's defense here. I, I do think Joe Burrow will bounce back. Probably, you know, he, he had a great week one, had a terrible week two. Uh, I think he's some, somewhere in between in that respect. Um, it, and that kind of leads to what's going on here for, for week three. Cincinnati lost a heartbreaker there in a game they probably shouldn't have even been involved in. 
and, and the line opened up uh, pretty heavily here. I actually had a Cincinnati plus six and a half ticket, wasn't able to give it out because it, it moved right off the board, went down to four and a half for most of today. Uh, and then news broke about Ben Roethlisberger. Pittsburgh is dealing with injuries to their defense. Ben Roethlisberger is already very, very, very bad in this respect. I, I, he has not been playing very well. He's one of the worst quarterbacks right now in the NFL performance-wise. We'll see if he can turn that around. But there was question marks last year, you know, and the year before, uh, of his gradual decline and his injury history, and now he's battling that again. So we actually gave out Cincinnati plus 4.5 right now. It's actually juiced to the uh, minus 3.5 right now for Pittsburgh, and money's still coming in on Cincinnati here. It's going to be very interesting to see what this line closes, but ultimately, if we have plus 4.5, it's not coming back up to that number. I feel good about that. I uh, feel good about it for our subscribers as well. Yeah, I, I love the fact that you're able to get the value. The line's moving in our direction, plus you're, plus you're getting that extra advantage there on the hook. I know a lot of people uh, over the past week were complaining about taking the Rams minus 3.5, and, and the Rams wind up beating the Colts by 3, but, I mean, to me, it's that's minus three and a half is a number that I'd never want to play when, when you're betting a favorite there. I mean, even minus three isn't the best expected value at the end of the day, but I almost would ne- never go bet a three and a half, even if I was getting plus money. But that's another story for another day. But, yeah, obviously, if you're in our subscriber Discord channel, you can get access from now to the end of the Super Bowl. Check out bettingpredators.com backslash premium. We're, t- we're putting out tons of free content every single week, but our premium subscribers – get access to our private Discord channel where we're doing live betting. We're, we're giving out props the second we bet them to make sure we all get the best of the number. So make sure to get in there. Uh, criminally underpriced, is, if I might say so myself. But, you know, it's amazing you mentioned that, Steve, because when I'm looking at all the information, the PFF data, the box scores and everything, with an eye towards week three, that's one area where I just completely overlooked myself. And you look at the fact that Fields got in there and both quarterbacks were terrible for Chicago. Uh, but the one thing I absolutely do want to bet, and we talked about this last week, we're like, hey, look, Jalen Hurts, you know, whenever the line comes out for his rushing prop, we want to bet the over as soon as possible. And I think my guess at the time was that I was going to come out probably in like the low to mid 40s. They wind up opening at 40 and a half. We gave that out right away in our private Discord channel for our subscribers. Um, that line got bet up to 50 and a half, still easily cashed on the over. That to me, Justin Fields, that's a prop I want to bet right away as soon as the Lions come out. Assuming that he's getting the starting nod here in week three is Justin Fields over rushing yards and probably even over rushing attempts, to be honest, because uh, in his limited time, uh, he had 13 dropbacks for pass attempts. He rushed the ball 10 times. And we saw a similar split to that in the preseason as well, where if this guy is starting for the rest of the year, and playing like he has so far in his first action in the preseason and the regular season, he can easily challenge guys like Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts for the overall rushing lead in the NFL amongst quarterbacks. So that's a prop I absolutely have my eye on for week three as soon as the numbers drop. And then Darnell Mooney, uh, he's a second-year receiver whom obviously he's competing with Allen Robinson for targets in that offense, but you look at the grades on PFF in terms of which receivers are separating the best and getting open at will – and Darnell Mooney's at the top of that list for this Bears offense. Now, you know, the, the Cleveland Browns, which is the, the Bears opponent in week three, Chicago's at Cleveland, uh, they were burned by Tyree Kill in week one. Even in week two, uh, they gave up a really big game to Brandon Cooks. We hit our over on his 61 and a half receiving yards. Uh, obviously, he didn't go that much over that. I think he finished with a little less than 80, 
which is still a nice win, but he had 50 yards at halftime, and, and that was because Tyrod Taylor got hurt, and he still got there even with the rookie quarterback, Davis Mills. So I'm looking at Darnell Mooney to be another type of deep, speedy receiver who can separate well on defensive backs, having his way uh, in this game against the Browns. And even in this game, as you mentioned, Steve, where the Bears got seemingly nothing going through the air, Darnell Mooney still came away with eight targets. He more than doubled the target. He doubled the targets exactly from A-Rob, which had four, who had four, Montgomery had four, Darnell Mooney had six catches for 66 yards and was even missed on, on, a, on a throw down the field towards the end of the game from Fields there too. So he's getting the targets from Fields. Uh, I, I think you're going to look to his way where, especially in a quarterback who likes to scramble outside the pocket like Fields, he gets loose and some of the coverage breaks down down the field. I will look towards Darnell Mooney because I believe his prop line is going to be put put out at somewhere maybe in like the, my guess would be high 40s, low 50s. I think that is going to be a number to attack as well as Justin Fields rushing yards. Um, only other note I have here for this game on the Bears side is that Dave Montgomery became the clear workhorse in this game. He had 24 touches overall uh, to four uh, for da- for Damian Williams, the backup there. So uh, Montgomery had an 80% snap share, ran 61% of the routes. Um, you know, I don't know if he'll get as much passing game work with Fields there because we all know rushing quarterbacks tend not to check down to the running backs as much in the passing game. Uh, but I do think there is value for Montgomery just in terms of fantasy overall where he's a solid RB2 candidate. And, and maybe this offense takes a step forward with Fields getting a game under his belt and, and being the starter for the future. So uh, anyways, we talked enough about that one. Uh, Houston at Cleveland, you know, the Texans looked like they were looking like they were going to be the spoilers of the week. Uh, you know, they, they were in there. They were competitive. They took an early lead on the Browns. My man, Tyrod Taylor, can't talk about this guy enough. One of my favorite quarterbacks in the league, unfortunately got hurt. I mean, he was 10 for 11, almost perfect passing, uh, two touchdown passes, had a rushing touchdown and came up lame on his hamstring. I think uh, early in the third quarter, right at the end of the first half there, and it's, it, it, he's now put on IR, so he might miss the next four weeks, maybe even longer for Houston. Very unfortunate situation because he, he was looking like an absolute steal in fantasy. And uh, the rapport that he was developing with Brandon Cooks was looking to be out of this world. And I would mentioned that previously in regards to like Tyrod Taylor and Sammy Watkins and Buffalo once had an amazing connection uh, with the deep ball. And, and that was looking to materialize itself with Brandon Cooks there. Brandon Cooks came away from this game. Uh, with an NFL high 68% air yard share in week two. And that's despite only playing one half with Tyrod Taylor. Uh, Brandon Cooks wound up with nine catches on 14 targets. Uh, He only had four catches for 38 yards in the second half, but Davis Mills targeted Brandon Cooks 10 times in the second half. And that's not even including a couple of plays that were blown dead due to Cooks drawing Cleveland penalties in the secondary. I think people need to forget about some of the misconceptions they have about Brandon Cooks, but when this guy has been healthy, I brought this up multiple times on different podcasts that we have throughout the week. He's put up consistent top 10 fantasy points per game's numbers. He's a solid route runner. He's He has very good consistent hands throughout his career, and he's a burner, a deep threat down the field that can separate on almost anyone. So they were looking to scheme him up in all types of ways in the second half, and I think there's a lot of value on him Thursday night, even though I know it's a risky play with a rookie inexperienced quarterback in Davis Mills under center. But look, Houston's at home. I believe they're what, seven and a half, eight point underdogs in this game. Carolina's starting to get a lot of buzz as the next up and coming team, especially after the way they, after the way they dismantled the Saints in week two. So I, I really like Cooks a lot, especially for uh, show uh, showdown 
one game DFS slates, uh, putting Cooks in your captain spot Thursday night, and then just running it back with with a bunch of Panthers running, uh, you know, Christian McCaffrey, Chuba Hubbard, maybe even Sam Darnold. I, I think that could be a really good way to attack that slate where I think most of the people are going to be putting Christian McCaffrey in their captain spot. But anyways, Steve, you tell me now, Houston losing Tyrod Taylor, how much of a downgrade does that give you for them? And then Cleveland, on the other hand, I mean, they're one and one now, but you know, they haven't really looked all that great through two weeks either. Um, and then tell me how high were you going to bump Houston up with Tyrod? Because that, that's really what I want to know on a personal level here. So, so, so let me have it. Yeah. So obviously you touched on a lot of the points that I have notes down on for Tyrod. Tyrod Taylor has been killing it. I mean, every time that he gets the start and they're giving him the ball, he does well, no matter where he is. He was the 13th ranked PFF quarterback, uh, this season. Now, granted, it was only a game and a half before he got injured, but that's what they're losing. And going from a, a middle-of-the-road quarterback, which is around 13 is, and going to somebody that's not even in the top 32, and maybe he's not even in the top 40 or even 50, that's what the quarterback Davis Mills is. We don't really know. He came in 8 for 18 for 102 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. So it is a major downgrade for me. I, I downgraded them 2.5 points based on that injury. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be very interesting what happens with Houston moving forward. Obviously, week one came and went, and, and they performed better than uh, expected. Uh, and I, I didn't think they played that terribly in this game, actually. But losing their leader, Tyrod Taylor, which I, I felt like was the engine of that offense, is going to be a concern moving forward. Uh, and I, I don't know how much of a concern. I don't even know if two and a half points is enough to cover it. Um Talking about a couple of the things right now, I mean, you have a team that is, I think, lined at four four wins is what it closed out to start the season. I, I think I have a ticket for under four and a half wins. Uh, but ultimately, they, they perform well, kind of like the Jaguars did last year where they won week one. They did the exact same thing here. And then you lose your starting quarterback. Is that the wind out of your sails? Is that something that's going to be completely deflating across the board in a way that we can't even imagine right now? I'm very interested uh, about Thursday night here. We're going to get to that in a second. Um, Brandon Cooks, and I had it down because I wanted to ask you this question. He had almost a 50% target share for the team. So right now, and I want to, I want to pause my handicapping of the game and the takeaways to ask you this question right now, Brandon cooks, Chris is lined at five and a half receptions for Thursday night is at plus plus one fifteen. Is that something that we should be looking at in your perspective? Is that something obviously in DFS late, you, you, you mentioned about targeting it, but is that something that we should be looking for the player prop market as well? Yeah, for me, Brandon cooks, uh, you know, I, I was up doing all my notes for this podcast just starting my research for the week, basically, was last night. And as you know, Sleepy and I on this podcast, we're the night owls here. Steve's kind of the only, only normal human being on our team here at the Betting Predators that sleeps and, and wakes up at normal hours. So I'm up at 4 or 5 a.m. Or, or 2 a.m., I think, when I actually gave this prop in our Discord channel for subscribers, which was Brandon Cooks over four and a half catches. And the first thing that I said at the time was that I think this number within the next 24 hours is going to move to five and a half. Um, there was no other books besides DK and Caesars that had it up at the time. So it was minus 150. I mean, I'm play, playing minus 150 on props really sucks. Like I'm not going to lie there, but it, it was the only line available, the only number available. So I wanted to give that out personally for me. I wanted to get a full unit down on that. Uh, if I had a prop builder tool, uh, you know, would I have added an extra half unit on over five and a half, or maybe I would have gotten like a plus 150. I definitely would have considered that as well. I didn't have that available at the time. 
uh, this morning slash last night when I gave that out. But over five and a half, it's now plus 105. It's, it's getting steamed down to almost even money. I mean, this might be over five and a half at minus 115 within the next 24 hours. So uh, I don't know if the value is there anymore for me. Uh, I'm very cautious about Brandon Cooks and his yardage total because this is the type of offense where they're at home on a Thursday night in a short week. So I think they're going to try to keep it real close to the vest. They're going to try to ground and pound this thing and be competitive against the Panthers here. Uh, but they are going to have to throw at some point because this Panthers team will be able to move the ball in their defense. So that's why I like Cook at over four and a half catches. Uh, I, I think the value has almost disappeared just in the last, what, 12 to 16 hours alone because everyone seems to be playing that over four and a half. So over five and a half catches at plus 105, I'm not too crazy about it. I'd probably go half unit on that. Uh, but Brandon Cooks, you know, you can't deny the fact that he had 14 targets in that game, Steve. 14 targets for Brandon Cook, Brandon Cooks, excuse me. And the next highest player on the Texans had two targets, I believe, for the entire game. I mean, that literally is like an LOL type of box score when you're looking at that. You're like, what the heck happened where Cooks has 14 targets and no other player on the entire offense has more than two targets in a game they were trailing in the second half. So uh, that's kind of long way, you know, long-winded way of saying that's how I'm, how I'm approaching this game. And I'd be very hesitant to take any Carolina Panther overs in this game because this is the type of game where Davis Mills at quarterback, all of a sudden a, a couple early turnovers, and you could see the play volume in this game really go down fast uh, because the Panthers might simply not need to push the ball that much on offense if their defense is able to take advantage of a really inexperienced quarterback who's not really ready to start in the NFL just yet. So that, that's my overall takeaways in terms of props for this game. Uh, we're obviously going to look at some other things. I, I know that we were eyeing Mark Ingram for a couple possible unders. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's just overall. Cooks, to me, he's a, he's a borderline top 10 talent at wide receiver, but now you're putting him in almost the worst of situations. So a guy who had 14 targets last week, who had a 68.68% air yard share in the offense, yeah, I'm willing to bet he can clear four and a half catches in a negative game script at home because I believe Davis Mills is probably going to look his way almost the entire game. And I think the coaching staff is at least halfway confident enough to where they're going to try to scheme up, scheme up some easy looks for cooks. Whereas he might've been running a lot of downfield routes with an experienced quarterback uh, like Tyrod Taylor. But the only other thing I have in terms of notes uh, for this game, uh, you know, going back to the fact we're talking about Houston and Cleveland is, you know, Cleveland uh, is a team where, you know, they lost Jarvis Landry. He's now on IR. He, he's going to be out for at least, I believe, the next four weeks. Uh, this is a team that we already knew they were run heavy, run first type of team, solid defense, but it's going to be even more of that going forward with the Cleveland Browns. I mean, you look at the three tight ends they're running out there, Austin Hooper, uh, Harrison Bryant, David Njoku. Those are the top three guys in terms of targets in this offense. Five targets for Hooper, four targets for Harrison Bryant three targets for Njoku. I mean, it's an ugly tight end committee that I don't want any part of in regards to DFS or season long fantasy. I don't want any part to do with the receivers with no Landry there. OBJ's coming back this week. Maybe there's some hope in him, on him, but you know, if you drafted him, it's going to be a little risky to, to start him in his first game coming off that ACL injury. So um, this is an offense where it's like, it's pretty much Nick Chubb or bust, maybe Kareem Hunt in the flex. Uh, and, and there's not really too much other takeaways I have from that. Uh, Steve, the one note that I do have down for week three, Chicago at Cleveland is possibly looking towards Baker Mayfield under attempts 
under passing yards and just unders overall for the Cleveland offense because I think their defense should be able to have their way with an inexperienced Justin Fields. Like, look, I think Justin Fields, he can scramble. He can cash our rushing overs props for him easily, but can he consistently push the ball downfield, move the chains, and score points uh, on the road at Cleveland, a playoff team? I don't know if that can happen. And because of that, and with all the other factors I just mentioned, I think there might be some really clear value on unders just in the overall passing attack in Cleveland in week three. What are your overall takeaways from the Browns losing Landry, but then getting OBJ back at the same time in terms of everything we just talked about? Yeah, Baker Mayfield got hurt. In fact, at one point during that game, I actually was, I bet against Cleveland. We came back on the other side of it and got, uh, you know, a better line and we won that other side of the bet. But Baker was a little bit banged up on his non-throwing shoulder. And I don't know what that impact is going to be. Probably nothing, but it's certainly something. I mean, there was something there that made him leave the game. And it's his non-throwing shoulder. He only threw the ball 21 times in a game they put up 31 points. The thing about Cleveland Browns, they're much like Baltimore, where they can run the ball and be effective. They don't need the passing game. Whenever Baker is there and he runs off that play action, he's very accurate. He was 19 to 21. So I'd expect a game much like this one for next week. Something in the low 20s in pass attempts, a high percentage, low yardage, run the ball as much as possible, especially with Landry out. I mean, that was somebody that he just knew where he was. He has that relationship with him. If Odell comes back, maybe that's something that keeps the defense a little bit concerned about, like a deep play or something that he could he could bust. But you mentioned we don't even know what he can do. Odell's constantly hurt, and as somebody that is a Giants fan, I've seen him. When he's at the best of his ability, he's incredible. But the man is never healthy. He's never 100%. And coming back from injury, it's just not something that I would play on. Uh, I I would certainly, certainly look towards Mayfield unders this week, and that's, I think, something that will be given out in a prop-wise once those start popping up. Um, He did spread the ball out. He, He targeted 10 different people, uh, had and nine of them had a reception, which is pretty incredible. Um, running the ball, Nick Chubb actually had less carries than Kareem Hunt did. Is that game script? Is that just uh, how things played out in this particular game, that maybe they were they had it rolling on offense and Kareem Hunt was in the game? But Nick Chubb was 11 for 95. Kareem Hunt was only 13 of 51. So that's something interesting. Um, a couple of game notes that we have moving forward for week three here. Uh, Chicago and Cleveland, this is a great opportunity for a teaser bet. Uh, I do think it's going to be rather low scoring because of Cleveland's, uh, you know, lack of talent at wide receiver right now. They want to run the ball, which obviously moves the clock. Uh, they'll rely on their defense, which is, is performed pretty well this season. Uh, Chicago's defense, as we saw, did perform very well this past week as well. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be a low scoring affair, which makes those points more valuable. I would not want to lay the points with Cleveland but putting them into a teaser is a great option. As far as Carolina and Houston goes, uh, Houston moving forward here, uh, Houston's getting set, uh, touchdown in the hook there. Um, you know, I can't bring myself to bet Carolina. Uh, and, and here's the reason why. Carolina has performed over expectations probably more so than any NFL team uh, this season so far. They're 2-0. and They're going to Houston to a team that they're supposed to dominate because Houston – they just lost their quarterback. They're, they're the worst team in the NFL. According to my power ratings, they're nine and a half points worse than an average team. They're not good. The only reason why I won't bet Houston on the other side of it is because it's a Thursday night game. 
So you think that they're, they've got national spotlight. A lot of attention are on them. That is something that I'm laying off this game. If I'm doing anything with it, it's another teaser opportunity that you can uh, get Carolina down underneath that uh, field goal. I think it has some value there. Uh, but right now I'm sitting off, uh, and we're going to see probably attack the player prop market uh, when more of these lines pop up across the books. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I wouldn't look too much into the whole Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt splits for week two. I, I think that's more of an aberration than anything. Just looking at the fact that Nick Chubb averaged 8.6 yards per carry. Kareem Hunt was less than half of that at 3.9 yards per carry. A little frustrating for people who played Nick Chubb in DFS. I know he was kind of a chalky guy there at the end. Uh, he winds up getting vultured with touchdowns by the fullback Andy Janovich. Baker Mayfield wound up getting a rushing touchdown. Everything I'm looking at for week three assumes Baker Mayfield's going to be back in there, but obviously that's a situation worth monitoring as well. But given the fact that he is a little bit banged up, I'm with you. I'm glad you're thinking the same way I am with the with the note I had here for look-ahead props is let's look to, to play Baker unders in terms of attempts and passing yards, and then just basically all Cleveland passing unders but might have some type of value for this game here against Chicago. But let's move on. Uh, Rams 27 at the Colts 24 you know surprisingly again a lot of people lost on the hook at this game that bet the Rams late at minus three and a half it seemed like the Rams were dominating this game from start to finish and and the box score doesn't really show that in terms of the final score but I mean if you drafted Cooper Cup in in fantasy if you played him in DFS uh, you either won a lot of money this past weekend or you're on track to win a lot of money in your season long leagues because this guy's absolutely dominating the NFL right now with a 38 percent target share uh, you know, he's doing it deep. He's doing it short. He's not just being used in the slot type of role. Uh, so I, I don't know. It Will defense to be able to scheme a guy like Cooper Cup away? Cooper Cup away? Uh, I, I just don't know, especially the fact that the Rams are at home in week three against the Tampa Bay defense that's really good against the run, but is very vulnerable against the pass. So I, I don't see Cooper Cup slowing down, Steve. And I, I think the market just might be too slow to adjust overall. This is a, uh, Those are props that uh, I know Sleepy Jay liked a lot. When we did our player props, quote unquote, money picks podcast for week two, he really liked Cooper Cup over receptions. I like Cooper Cup over on his yards. Um, but, you know, it, it was we were unsure of the overall, you know, you know, how much of a best bet really is it just due to the fact that we didn't know if the Colts are going to be able to press them a time to throw that much in this game. But th- this looks like a pass first team, regardless of game script, with Sean McVay having his quarterback at choice with Stafford under center there. Uh, obviously, Daryl Henderson was banged up a little bit. He was doing really well before the injury, but then Sony Michelle steps in. He pretty much played all the snaps, third down snaps, long down and distance snaps, two-minute drill snaps as soon as Henderson left. So if Henderson's banged up and is going to miss any time, Michelle should obviously be your number one pickup off waivers, although he's pretty heavily owned already in fantasy. Um, you know, And Robert Woods, I think if anything, Robert Woods the guy. He got two carries. He had nine targets, only grabbed five catches. But if defenses start to really make it a priority to scheme against Cooper Cup, Robert Woods is a very talented receiver on the opposite side of the field that could definitely benefit in this pass happy, pass happy, pass friendly type of offense. There, uh, the, the the Colts, it's a messy it's, it's a messy situation, man. Like some of my favorite props for Week Two were betting the, the Colts running backs over on their receptions and receiving yards, and, and and those failed because we saw an offense that you know without their left tackle, it seemed like they left their tight end, uh, their tight ends out there to run more routes, and they left the running backs in there to pass block more and. Did it work? Did it not? Uh, same result as in week one in terms of them losing. But this is an offense I really don't want to try to guess in terms of what's going to happen. We saw Jack Doyle all of a sudden 
have eight targets in this game. Michael Pittman, after a super quiet week in week one, pops off with a 39% target share, 12 targets overall, eight catches, 120 plus yards. I just have no idea what, I think this Colts offense is trying to figure itself out with the new quarterback and trying to figure out where are they best suited throwing the ball uh, when they can't get the running game going. You know, Taylor struggled to run the ball well in this game late. Uh, so that, that's kind of my overall, this is the offense I want to kind of, you know, step back, kind of a wait and see, a, wait and see type of approach in terms of where I want to attack this offense moving forward. But Jack Doyle, I mean, he's a guy you can pick up in your waiver wire. His routes jumped up to 75% in this game. Is that going to stick around? Maybe they just prefer him over a guy like Mo Ali Cox because he runs better routes, has softer hands, is more of a safety blanket for a guy like Wentz, or maybe it's going to be the rookie this week uh, in Jacob Eason overall. But you know, that that's kind of for me, I, I don't know how I want to attack Indianapolis at Tennessee, but I think Tennessee could finally have that type of get right game uh, in week three playing at home. Uh, against Indianapolis, especially if either Wentz has two bum ankles or they're going to be starting a rookie quarterback is probably going to be weighing over his head uh, in week three. So uh, this is a game I don't know what props to attack just yet. Got to wait and see what happens with Wentz, but this just might be a game overall. I, ca- I kind of, you know, don't attack as, as hard from the Colts side, whereas A.J. Brown, uh, you know, for the Titans, we'll get into him a little bit when we talk about Tennessee. He might be a guy I look to attack against the Indianapolis zone defense in terms of their secondary so uh, any thoughts from you steve los angeles rams do they get a bump do the colts get bumped down at all in your power ratings uh, what are your overall takeaways from that game well i think the one thing to take away from it is that it was tied with just over two minutes left in the game uh, this is a carson wentz led offense uh that put up 24 points against a, a supposedly a, a pretty good rams defense he obviously gets hurt and then in comes um the backup who, who is just dreadful. I mean, Jacob Easton is not ready to start any games right now. So it, depending, Indianapolis is peculiar because if Wentz plays, he's got two sprained ankles, which is very interesting. I'm not sure how one gets two sprained ankles. I, I The only thing I could think about is, is maybe someone trying on high heels for the first time is the only other way uh, besides Carson Wentz playing football is that you can get two sprained ankles at the same time. Um, ultimately, I think the big winner of the game was the fans. There was only five penalties called in this game. And we're going to get to some of these games where penalties really impacted it. But this game, only five accepted penalties is pretty wild. Uh, The Rams only won the total yards by 17, which is kind of surprising because they're supposed to have a dynamic offense. Yet it didn't really materialize that way because the defense is also supposed to be fantastic. Uh, They only sacked the quarterback one time. Now, granted, the Colts offensive line has been good in the past. But with some of the injuries, you would have expected that the Rams would have had a little bit more success in this particular game. Uh, It certainly could have been a big letdown spot. We talked about Chicago uh, Rams in week one and how the Rams had a big win. Here they go into Indianapolis that are having a a tumultuous offseason and a start to the year. um, And they have Tampa Bay on deck. So maybe it was a look ahead. So maybe there's something to be said about the the Rams. and, And maybe that right there is reason why we should have been looking towards Indianapolis. Um, honestly, this was, it was tough not to bet the Rams. There was a lot of money that came in the Rams. I think there were, there were certainly the, the, the Joe public was betting the Rams. How could you not? I mean, it's the Rams against the Colts. Um, but ultimately, uh, obviously if you got the best number, which opened at minus three, you pushed uh, everything else. Indianapolis covered this game. Uh, I thought Indianapolis played well under the circumstances. Um, week one featured running backs in the passing game. And, and you mentioned a little bit, they only had three targets this week which was very peculiar. I I don't even know what to make of it. Um, Pittman was supposed to be injured. He had eight receptions on 12 targets for 123 yards. For someone that had his under, I was not happy to see that, but I thought he looked pretty good out there. Um, 
it would. I really feel if Indianapolis had a healthy Carson Wentz, that they would be a play on team because of all the stuff that happened in the off season and to start this year, they're kind of like the Giants, where I think they're going to start getting better as the year progresses. If they continue to have these injury and, and Wentz kind of falls back to form and, and never gets healthy, that could be a concern. Uh, but but they're zero two right now with the division on the line in Tennessee. So. It'll be interesting to see where this line goes right now, but there's certainly a lot of momentum for Indianapolis uh, to, to beat Tennessee in Tennessee, especially that Tennessee got that win in Seattle. That was huge. Uh, so this is a really a do-or-die situation for Indy in Week 3, that if they lose this game, basically the division could be out of grasp, even with that 17th game there. Uh, as far as the Rams go, a huge monster game against Tampa Bay. Uh, the Rams opened up minus one. Uh, that has seemingly switched over to, to Tampa. Uh, it, if you were with us and a subscriber to our package, we did get them in a teaser uh, and actually got them all the way up to, I believe, Tampa Bay plus eight. There was a, a, a plus two that was on the opener. Um, so we hit that right away. So hopefully our subscribers got that as well. Um, but this is going to be an interesting game. This is not a game that I want to lay any points uh, I, I, anything I want to do with this game as far as Tampa and the Rams is through a teaser here. I think it's going to be a close game. I do think the Rams were looking ahead, and that is something I should have picked up on before this week started. Uh, but I, I think if Indianapolis gets healthy, they're going to be a play-on team. As far as the Rams go, they're going to be fine. I think they're going to have a great performance in Tampa. That's going to be one heck of a game to watch. Yeah, I, I think you kind of nailed it on the head there in terms of look-ahead for the Rams. Colts kind of backs against the wall. They don't want to start 0-2, but now they're 0-2 going on the road in week three. Will they be a little deflated uh, being in the fact that they lost Wentz and they have East? I don't know if anyone has confidence in Easton right now. I think his first pass might have been an interception. I, I know one of the few passes he did attempt in the game was picked off there at the end. But again, this is an offense where I do, I do believe where Frank Reich is one of the better head coaches in the National Football League. So he's going to try different things out to see what works against different matchups. And that's one thing that I overlooked just assuming like, Hey, look like Wentz, you know, he's not as mobile. He's a little banged up heading into the year. So checking down to his running backs is going to be a signal for me to bet overs on these guys moving forward. And given the fact they were down a left tackle, they were facing Aaron Donald and a good pass rush in LA to me, the stars aligned to where those are really good bets. And, and I think the process is still there for the most part, but you have to keep in mind, some of these situational contexts in the NFL when it comes to different coaches, different just regimes overall for different franchises. And that's my main takeaway uh, for that game. But the one place I do want to look, if the Colts are serious about not falling down 0-3 in a division game there on the road at Tennessee, I think you almost have to look at Jonathan Taylor on the ground that if they're going to win this game with either – because that, that, that injury to Wentz, man, when he went down on that ankle, that looked bad. Like that looked almost as bad as Dak Prescott's ankle injury – last year so the fact they're already saying that he could play that was very surprising for me to see I'm happy to hear it but I'm a little skeptical about Wentz if he's able to go back out there you know he he literally might be playing on two bum ankles in addition to other injuries so anyways let's move on to the Buffalo Bills not too much to take away from here Steve Tua goes down early you can tell me how much you're adjusting the Dolphins down uh, uh, given that they might not have Tua for a little while Brissett was terrible under center um, you know, clearly just a backup at this point, um, you know, game manager at best, but not even a very good game manager at that. He had a 4.2 yards per attempt clipped, uh, a clip and was sacked four times. So the only thing I wrote down for me looking ahead to week three, Miami at Las Vegas, this Raiders defense, it actually doesn't look that bad. And 
Uh, if Brissett was sacked four times against the Bills, I think that we might see some more sack opportunities for the Raiders defense in week three here as the Raiders look to stay undefeated as well. Uh, other than that, uh, I think Stephon Diggs, the guy where people had very high expectations for him coming into the year. He hasn't been a bust by any means, but he's been a little disappointing. Uh, hasn't had a real true breakout game yet, but he's had over 100 air yards in each of the first two weeks. And he's had 258 air yards altogether through two weeks, which is the seventh most in the NFL. So him and Sanders working downfield, you know, Josh Allen's just a little bit, he's been a little inaccurate targeting them down there, but they combined for a 42% plus target share in a game the Bills won 35 to zero. So I think there's clear value on Diggs and Sanders heading in to week three against a Washington defense that's really strong up front, but Washington secondary is kind of suspect. I mean, they gave up really big games passing to the Chargers wide receivers in week one. And then in week two, they gave up big plays to Darius Slayton against the Giants. So I, I think that Diggs and Sanders can both have their way uh, in week three in a game where we might only seen half of what they really could do against Miami being the fact that the Bills are essentially playing backups for most of the second half there. So uh, that, that's pretty much the only takeaways I have for that Bills-Dolphins game. Uh, how are you looking to uh, do anything with the Bills? Are you keeping them the same? And, and how far are you adjusting the Dolphins down without two under center? This, this is the least amount of notes that I have on any game. I, I feel like most of this game you could just throw out. I mean, 35 nothing in an in-division rivalry is shocking. And, and frankly, I don't think it's indicative of either team. Buffalo's not this good. Miami's not that bad. Uh, in, in all honesty, I took three and a half at the opener uh, to start the week. Uh, honestly, for a lot of the reasons I just mentioned, is that they're an in-division rival. I thought it was going to be a closer game. It's in Miami. It was a great opportunity for Miami to show that they can compete with Buffalo. Obviously, that did not work out. Uh, and I actually don't think that is because of the Tua injury. I thought they looked very poor to start the game. Um, it was going right against them. Uh, the more research I did as the week progressed, the more I realized that Buffalo had advantages that I didn't calculate originally. Um, so actually when the injury happened, I actually played the live line minus 10 and a half. And that was the, one of the easiest covers we've ever had as far as a live line goes. Um, uh, Josh Allen didn't, didn't perform all that well, at least not statistically. He only had 179 yards passing, but when you have 35 points, you don't really need to throw the ball. I do think Buffalo's defense is for real. They played obviously two games, Pittsburgh, notwithstanding that second half is, is I think the outlier here. I think, I think Buffalo is a legit team uh, right now. I have them ranked third in the NFL as the third best team. I did upgrade them a half a point. I downgraded Miami even more. I downgraded them two full points. Obviously part of that is because of the injury to Tua, but also because there, there's something there. You don't lose 35 to nothing and your team is okay. So I actually have them a little bit worse than a uh, average team. I actually have them ranked tied for 22nd with Philadelphia here at minus one. Um, ultimately, uh, Buffalo was four and four in the red zone. Miami was 0 and three in the red zone, but these statistics are meaningless. When you win 35 to nothing, that doesn't matter. Obviously Buffalo is incredibly efficient. You have to be to score that many points. Um, I don't think there's much of a, a downgrade from a injured Tua to a healthy Brissett. So no matter who we're getting for this next week in week three, I'm not overly concerned. It doesn't move the needle much for me. Um, Buffalo is not this good. Miami's not this bad. It'll be somewhere in between as we say quite often, uh, moving forward to week three, Washington, uh, at Buffalo, uh, Buffalo is a great, great teaser. Um, it, it, 
that is probably the linchpin right now with all the other teasers. A lot of good teaser options this week where I didn't feel like there was a lot for week two. Uh, so that's certainly something that we're going to be looking at at better betting predators. Uh, Miami at Las Vegas. You know, th- this is going to be more about Las Vegas for me than Miami. I- I've, I didn't think John Gruden was that good of a coach. Loved him as an announcer. Didn't wasn't a huge believer in him as a coach. Um, obviously, the Mike Mayock uh, selection of um, uh, was it Cle- uh, Ferrell? Is that who it was that they took in the like, top ten that wasn't even supposed to be drafted till the second round or something like that? The guy, I don't think the guy even got cut right now. So there's a lot of questionable things with Las Vegas, but the product we've seen on the team on, on the field from this team has been pretty impressive for the first two weeks. And I think they certainly rival with Carolina as a team that is over exceeding expectations. Uh, is, are they due for a letdown spot or is this really how good they're going to be? So this is going to be a very interesting game. Obviously Miami is coming in hobbled a little bit. Las Vegas, I, I believe was opened up at four little money coming in on Miami. Uh, it's ticked down to three and a half. There's certainly some fours available still. Um, I did take a little bit of, of Las Vegas minus four right now, uh, personally, a small bet. Uh, that's not looking so hot right now, or at least I'm getting the worst of the number. Uh, but but I, I'm a more of a believer in the Raiders than I was previously. I think also the the crowd advantage that they have at home was also something that I didn't anticipate. The the fervor that they had in that opener, if it's anything like that on a weekly basis, I think that home field advantage is going to be crucial to them. It's certainly something that's going to be a plus um, no matter who is quarterback for Miami this upcoming week. Yeah, no, I, I agree with pretty much everything you just said there. And, and look, I mean, sometimes you're still going to make a good bet and you might not get the best closing line value and, and the line might move against you, but you're still, it doesn't mean you're going to lose your bet all the time. So I know we're always trying to get CLV, but hundred percent of the time, it's not always going to happen there. I, I definitely do lean towards Las Vegas in that sense. And if, if, you know, like you said, that's a good point. Whether two is in there or not, it's going to be a banged up Tua. And then you talk about Brissett. Uh, again, I'm going to look towards that Raiders sack prop. That's a prop that we hit in the Ravens game, actually going back to week one. I'm definitely going to be looking to that for week three as well. Uh, let's keep it in the AFC East. Again, this is a game that I don't think I have too many takeaways on. We'll try to get through this list a little quicker, go into the rest of the games in the later afternoon. But Patriots 25 at the New York Jets with just six points on the day. Zach Wilson basically was Jacoby Brissett in New York. He was sacked four times, had four interceptions. Uh, 33% of his targets, 11 of 33 pass attempts, went to backup slot man Braxton Berrios. Uh, kudos to Steve. He, he, he DM'd me Sunday morning. He's like, hey, man, like, are we giving out Berrios as a best bet prop? And I'm like, you know, Steve, you really are a sleazeball, man. Talking about Braxton Berrios on a Sunday morning. Could be there taking care of your kids, doing all that family stuff. Instead, you're sitting there betting Braxton Berrios. But, of course, easy cash for Braxton Berrios. What was it, uh, over three and a half catches? Or either way, the guy winds up with 11 targets, seven catches on the day. Uh, as long as Jamison Crowder's out, uh, Berrios, uh, and Steve brought this up, it was a great point looking back to last year. Berrios has crushed his prop number pretty much every single week as long as Crowder's not in the lineup. So uh, kudos to Steve for being the ultimate D-Gen on that play there. But we put that in our Discord channel for subscribers that cash easily. Um, for me, the main takeaway I have uh, is the running backs. So James White is the number one option in this offense. Like no matter what type of game script it is, uh, he had a rushing touchdown. You know, only five carries, but you're not going to expect much more out of a third down back. Six targets, six catches, 45 yards. So he's still getting there in a, an ultimate positive game script for New England. Uh, Jacoby Myers, you know, decent day. Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne. I mean, it's all guys that are like, eh, like 
they're not really doing all that much. And maybe one pops off on a certain week, but you have a tight end committee. You have an offense that's basically centered around passing it to the running back. And, you know, Damian Harris looks pretty good. He's a solid RB2 in fantasy. Um, but he's not involved that much in a passing game either. So to me, when we look at New Orleans at New England, Steve, for week three, uh, something to me says unders in this game. And maybe white receptions receiving yards over again, because that just might be the trend for the rest of the year that he's the number one option in this game, in this offense, no matter what type of game script we see. Uh, I might even look towards Damian Harris rushing props under because uh, the Saints defense is, as you know, as poor as they looked last week against Carolina on both sides of the ball, their rushing defense is still pretty solid. So uh, those are my main takeaways there. And, and then with the Jets, Michael Carter, uh, you know, if you can buy low on him, you know, he had 11 carries for 59 yards, had three targets. No other running back earned a target in that offense. You know, it's it's only week three now, but he could finally be kind of breaking out of that shell. The ceiling might not be there necessarily, but he might provide you with that starter type of role where you didn't really draft him that high. His draft stock really really fell towards the end of fantasy draft season. So uh, Michael Carter, 76 yards on 13 touches. His snap share went up 20% from week one. Uh, with the Jets going to play at Denver next week, uh, another thing I'll be looking at because Sleepy, uh, one of our premium articles is uh, Sleepy Jay's defensive rankings. And his number one defense going into week two was the Denver Broncos. And I'm guessing that they're going to stay at the top of the rankings after they forced Trevor Lawrence into an absolutely miserable game in week two. Uh, Zach Wilson sacks, Zach Wilson interceptions, Zach Wilson turnovers. Uh, those are some props I'll be looking to attack. And maybe, just maybe, Steve, I'll be looking to attack Corey Davis, which is a prop that we lost in week two. But I think it could be the ultimate rebound spot for him being the fact that he's not playing against Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick, you know, purposely took away the Jets' number one number one weapon on offense in week two, and that was Corey Davis. I expect a rebound from Corey Davis in this game, uh, and that's kind of my overall thoughts for both teams looking ahead to week three here. What do you got in this game? I think he killed it in a lot of respects. I mean, ultimately, um, you know, Bill Belichick takes away the greatest weapon, and I'm not sure if there's a great offensive weapon for the Jets, uh, but certainly Corey Davis uh, is their number one target uh, for sure. Uh, and I feel like we made a little bit of a mistake here, and we bet New England in week two, and we made money, but I think we should have slammed it. I mean, Belichick going against a rookie quarterback, uh, he, he kills it every time. This early in the season, with the way that Zach Wilson has looked, you know, in the preseason when everybody's playing like prevent defense and they're not scripting anything or, or game planning against anybody, he looked great. There was a lot of confidence and, and a lot of people, his stock went up. There's no doubt about it. But when you see him in these contests, the game's moving pretty quick for him. And when you go against Bill Belichick, who's one of the greatest defensive minds that we've seen in the NFL, you see what happens with Zach Wilson. Uh, and and it, they shut him down. I mean, 25 to 6. And, but New England's not getting the credit. And I'm not really sure why. New England didn't win the yardage total that much. In fact, they lost the yards per play by 0.3. They only had 159 yards passing, only 101 yards rushing. And they got four turnovers, which maybe there's a little bit of luck involved in that. So if you're getting rid of the turnover situation, they lost the YPP. There's a lot of betters that look at those things and say that's going to go to regression, right? It's going to go back to the mean. And maybe they're fading New England here, which you see the number in week three coming off of that three new England was minus three. It's starting to shift down a little bit underneath that right now. Currently we hold a minus one that there was an opener that we were able to grab. Uh, so our subscribers right now are sitting very pretty right now with that new England minus one. Um, 
forever, Bill Belichick has been able to do this. That the stats don't make sense. He, the value of him and what he does in New England is greater than anything you see on the stat sheet. So I, I personally, I'm not fooled by this. And if anything, at two and a half, if you do not hold a ticket on New England, I would be 100% comfortable grabbing uh, minus two and a half, especially Jameis Winston. I feel like that is, if you know what you're doing defensively, which clearly they do, I, I think you can script up something to slow him down. As far as the Jets go, it was just an awful matchup. Uh, Zach Wilson can't possibly be this bad. Um, he isn't ready to go against that type of atmosphere. Uh, the only thing worse could have been if, it's, if it was in New England. And, and at that point, you know, four interceptions is rough. Um, it was over before it began. Uh, I do think the Jets' defense is legit, uh, especially when you look at how much they limited New England. Even though they, they lost the turnover battle by four, uh, I thought they played pretty well. Uh, I had the notes about Braxton Berrios. If Crowder's out, that's something to slam. I do expect a Corey Davis bounce back, just like you mentioned. Uh, the Saints are incredible against the run. So, uh, again, all three highlights here. Uh, Berrios, if, if Crowder's out, Corey Davis bounce back spot. Uh, Damian Harris under rushing yards are three notes that I have that as soon as those props come up, that's certainly something, a direction I'm going to be looking in. Well, we're on the same wavelength for week three, it seems like pretty much so far. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear that because you've been absolutely crushing it in the props as well. And for, for those who don't know, I'm sh- sure you've seen some stuff on Twitter about it, but our NFL in-season package, you can get access from now through the end of the Super Bowl. Uh, with everything that you get, you're going to get uh, player props, not just from myself, but from Steve, also from Sleepy. Uh, we're going to be giving those out the second we bet them in our subscriber Discord channel. Uh, so, you know, I put out my player props column for free every Sunday morning or even Sunday around noon because it's so late in the week. We're doing so many things with our subscribers. But if you get access to our subscriber package, our in-season package, you're going to get access to those lines extremely early in the week to maximize your closing line value and your overall edge. And we've been well into the black through two weeks, even despite a down week for me on props. I mentioned with that Colts game. You know, sometimes you bet heavy on correlation, Steve, and this is something we kind of talk about behind the scenes on overall strategy. But, uh, you know, for me, it was a, a week where I finished a couple wins under 500, but I had a certain thought on a couple games where if I didn't bet those games, I wind up really high in the black. So I'm trying to learn from those things and not trying to overreact to losses at the same time. But, you know, either way, you're getting access to our power ratings, our look ahead lines, and with all the props and all the plays we've given out. We're very much into the black through two weeks. We're going to post our public results uh, on our website later this week as well. So people can track them to see what the plays are. We're giving to our subscribers after the fact as well, not just our win loss record, not just our plus minus unit record, but also our closing line value in terms of how much we're able to take advantage of the books to get the best of these lines there. So Steve, the content you're putting out in the package to me is some of the best in the business with your power, your power ratings. Um, Sleepy Jay's betting strategy column, his defensive rankings, my player props. I do a hit list every week where I break down the stats and information that you need to know and things to look ahead for for the week ahead with props. So uh, I'm very excited about our package. I believe in it. And for the price, I think it's you know the best, most affordable price you can find in the industry. But enough about ourselves with that. Let's move on to the next game here. The 49ers, another ugly game, which I'll try to run through quickly on my end. 49ers beat the Eagles. 17 to 11 on the road. Uh, the running back situation is just a complete shit show for the Niners right now. I mean, Trey Sermon's a guy where I was very high on him early in drafts. There's a lot of other sharp fantasy analysts were. Guy is a healthy scratch in week one. Week two basically doesn't get a snap until the second quarter. 
His first carry winds up fumbling the ball and getting concussed simultaneously. So you could literally not start out a career worse than Trey Sermon has started out, especially with Kyle Shanahan as his head coach. So don't drop Trey Sermon if he's on your bench. Like, hold on to him. Keep him on an IR spot if he gets ruled out for this week. But, um, again, like, we're not happy to see that. Elijah Mitchell's banged up a little bit. He still could play in week three. Um, Debo Samuel, George Kittle. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo was throwing extremely short uh, A-dot passes, 6.3 yards per attempt, kept things extremely shallow against the Eagles there. I think they might have had like one third down conversion in the entire first half alone. Uh, and they, they were just able to grind out the win with their defense there. So uh, I do think there is a lot of value because the Eagles defense has looked very good themselves through two weeks where we're getting Sunday night football in week three, Green Bay at San Francisco. I believe that seeing what defense, seeing what offenses have been able to do against Green Bay's defense, like how good did the Saints and Jameis Winston look against Green Bay? How good did the Lions look uh, last night on Monday Night Football against Green Bay, even though they wound up losing the game and getting blown out at the end? But in the first half, the Lions offense looked really good with Jared Goff, DeAndre Swift, TJ Hawkinson. So I think there's clear value on Debo Samuel. Uh, See how he's looking this week because he got on the injury report as well. I don't know if it's that serious with him, but George Kittle, man, like he's been a real disappointment to start off the year in fantasy. Only four catches, four targets, 17 yards, but the routes are there and the snaps are there. He ran around on 88% of dropbacks, which was way up from week one. So I think there could be some really good value on uh, George Kittle overs on Sunday night because I think that the Packers offense, if anything, can keep things competitive in this game. And we, we, we've seen what tight ends have done against the Packers so far. TJ Hawkinson lit them up last night uh, in the first half and the second half of that game. And then in week one, uh, Adam Troutman led the Saints in targets, and he didn't have a single target in week two. And then Juwan Johnson, the backup tight end, wind up getting two touchdowns in that game. So George Kittle could have his kind of semi-breakout game of the 2021 season. That's what I have circled for week three. And then on the Eagles side of things, I mean, uh, you know, do we continue to take the Hurts rushing props over, Steve? Because you look at now five complete starts in the NFL Hertz has had a minimum of seven rushing attempts and a minimum of 62 rushing yards in every single game so far. Uh, so the rushing attempts line, I think it was lined at about seven and a half last week. So you actually, uh, you know, a week ago, you would have lost that prop. But this past week, you know, he winds up clearing that easily 10 carries for 82 yards. Um, you know, if, if the line comes out at 45 at 46, 47, I mean, I think you still have to bet the over here because he hasn't had less than 62 in a game. And I I just don't see that changing, especially in a potential shootout at Dallas in week three. So uh, Philly's run defense has been really solid. This has been something not, not just this year, but dating back to last year as well. Uh, I might be looking towards Zeke under just for that fact alone, where Zeke splitting snaps with Tony Pollard, which we'll get into. But uh, I think the Eagles passing game has a big bounce back. I'm looking at Devonta Smith, Jalen Rager, they had the targets, they had the snaps, they had the routes run, but the efficiency just wasn't there. So Jalen Hurts over rushing, Smith and Reagan with bounce back opportunities. We'll see what the opening prop lines are for those guys if they're worth attacking. And then also with Dallas Goddard, could be some value on him with Ertz getting on the COVID list there, where if Goddard's the only tight end in that offense, uh, there could be some sneaky value on him as well. So that's my overall thoughts. Uh, Eagles, I think much better days ahead from them. They have an extremely soft ske- schedule in terms of opposing defenses over the next few months. Uh, 
So if you can buy low on any of these guys in your season-long fantasy leagues, I think that's the way you want to go for sure, whether it's season-long redraft or dynasty leagues as well. So uh, that's my overall thought, Steve. Uh, do you upgrade or downgrade either of these teams? And maybe just overall, you know, is, is San Francisco a team you're going to upgrade when you see Trey Lance get in there whenever he could get in there? That's kind of my overall lasting thoughts in that game. What do you think about that? I think in regards to San Francisco quarterback situation, if you brought in Trey Lance right now and you subbed him in for Garoppolo, I think there's a downgrade. I also think that it increases the chance of San Francisco winning the Super Bowl by putting him in there. I think it unlocks a part of that offense that Garoppolo can't do. You mentioned his ADOT just being so so short. Uh, I, Trey Lance chucks the ball forever. I mean, he's got one of the strongest arms in the league. It, it's going to open up uh, that passing game in a way that they haven't seen um, since Garoppolo has really been there. I don't think they can win the Super Bowl with Garoppolo. So I think if it's a long game – and you know. Bill Belichick is really good at this stuff. He sacrifices now for future results. So I think eventually when Trey Lance is ready, which I don't think he is now, I don't think they should do it um, yet, but I I think at some point he needs to get the ball and he needs to be the quarterback. But right now, if you're asking me if it was today, I think there is a downgrade by probably a point, point and a half, um, even if I do agree that the long-term solution is them. Um, this is another one where and we don't compare notes before we get started here. So seeing that we're on the same page, I think is a really good thing. Uh, one of the things I noted was that Kittle only had 10 targets and to hit the over in week three, or at least look toward the over. Um, so that is certainly something I'm looking to target in that respect. Um, and I don't even know if it's worth mentioning at this point, but Brandon Ayuk used to be a fantasy option last year. Uh, he is... He only got two targets. He's not starting for them. It's really peculiar what happened, and I'm I'm sure you know more about it than I do, Chris, because you're into the fantasy game much more so than I am. But he is just non-existent at this point, and certainly I know he's not fantasy relevant this year. But it's even as a football uh, game and watching and trying to analyze, he's not even impacted the line at all, even remotely. He's replaceable at this point. Um, I, I did not move San Francisco off this game. They're going to rely on their defense all year until they get Trey Lance in there and he shows he could do something. Uh, Holding Philadelphia to 11 points was very impressive. Um, Philadelphia did win the yards per play by 1.5, but 90 uh, 90 yards of that came from the Watkins play. So it makes it look more deceptive. In fact, if you actually look at Jalen Hurts' numbers, he only had 190 yards, 91 of which came from that one play. Um, Mm. Philadelphia is better than I thought coming into the year. Uh, but they're certainly limited by what Hurts can do, his inability to throw the ball. It's almost a little bit like uh, Lamar Jackson when he came into the league and, and then trying to figure out what they can do with him. Uh, certainly they need to throw the ball, and Hurts doesn't have that dynamic running ability that Jackson has proven over his career. Uh, but I think that Philadelphia needs to start implementing even more than they are, even more than that seven yards, uh, seven rushing attempts per game, more designed runs, getting them outside the box, that sort of thing, I think is the way that if you're looking for uh, immediate success from Philadelphia, if you want them to compete this year in the division, I think you're going to have to start running the ball with design runs more so with him than a lot of the scrambles or even the RPOs in that respect. Um, uh, another thing, and I'm just reiterating the things you said, so I won't belabor the issue, but Devonta Smith, uh, I had over three and a half. He had seven targets. He didn't hit the number. I'm, I'm coming right back to the well next week. I don't. That's not deterring me at all. Uh, San Francisco has a great, great defense, and if he's getting seven targets versus them in a game that is slow-paced, 
I think that there'll be plenty of opportunity moving forward. And I certainly have Hertz uh, targeted as somebody that we want to uh, hit those rushing overs on. As far yeah, as this, yeah. yeah, as far as this upcoming week, man, uh, you know, Green Bay right now, I, I make the green make the game Green Bay minus uh, plus three. Right now they're getting that, that hook, so it's interesting right there. I, I certainly could see a play on that front. I would only look to Green Bay's side. Uh, Philadelphia at Dallas. Um, I, I actually make the game Dallas 5, if I'm just going to double-check real quick. Dallas 5. Uh, Dallas has looked very good. Philadelphia's looked great, uh, but that's an in-division rivalry, which are going to be – it's going to be interesting to see how that uh, goes here. Philadelphia's defense is great. Is it going to be able to slow down Dak and that offense – which didn't do all that well in week two. It's going to be something interesting, but we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what the um, receiving yards prop is for Amari Cooper because mm. what I saw in week three, uh, week, week two, excuse me, is that we had quite a few bets on the Dallas Chargers game, and we did well in that game. We wound up going, I believe, three and one on our props. We hit Lamb over receiving yards. We had a double-dip prop on Mike Williams. We got his plus uh, over four and a half catches at plus money, which was good. And then we lost Amari Cooper, but Cooper was banged up in that game. But the, the other thing I will say about Cooper is that um, he might have still not gotten there uh, even without injury because what, what I noticed, and this is a theme for Amari Cooper dating back to the time he entered the league with the Raiders, is that anytime he's the number one outside option in an offense, if he goes up against any type of halfway competent defensive back or secondary and they try to shut him down, uh, they're shutting him down. Like Cooper has been shadowed and shut down more often than not in his career. And, and he's a guy that I never draft because he'll win you one week, but then he'll turn around and literally lose you the week after. Uh, and the consistency is not there. Whereas CD lamb is offering that consistency. He's running routes all over the field, shallow slant routes, intermediate routes, deep routes. They even gave him a carry in that game. Uh, which we'll get into in a little bit. But yeah, absolutely for me, Devonta Smith, uh, seven targets. He had a targets per route run. This is a stat that I really like, very sticky stat in fantasy, which could be indicative of, of really bigger weeks to come. Uh, 23% target per route run, which is very solid. Uh, 224 air yards through two weeks. And I think you just throw this week two game out the window pretty much for both offenses here. Um, to me, just the, the thoughts overall, you know, you're, you're our power ratings guy, but to me, Dallas by five almost sounds like a little too much because maybe Dallas is a little fat and happy get, getting kind of an upset win against the Chargers, whereas Philly's motivated to get even against a division rival here. Uh, I think Philly's defense, they can shut down the Dallas run game. Uh, can their secondary shut down Dak, which really didn't do – Dak didn't really do that much in, in week two against L.A. there. So it'll be interesting to see how those two teams match up in that perspective. But Moving on, you know, we talked about we're going to start to overlap with some of these teams because we're, we're looking ahead to week three, but Raiders 26, Raiders 26, they get the road win. Steelers with just 17 points at home in week two. Um, the only thing I really have here is that, I mean, Derek Carr has just been ridiculous through two weeks. He has 817 passing yards, leading the NFL in passing yards after opening the season against the Ravens and the Steelers. I mean, what would have been the odds if you would have bet Derek Carr to lead the league in passing yards before the year? I mean, that might have been like, 100 to 1. Um, but Derek Carr, uh, you know, second highest passer in the league is Kyler Murray at 689, then Patrick Mahomes at 680. So Carr has just been absolutely slinging the ball all over the field with success against two pretty solid defenses. And Henry Ruggs, he, he's another guy, just like Devonta Smith I just mentioned. He had a 23% targets per route run in week two. His big playability, if he maintains that type of a target rate, 
on the routes that he's running. Uh, he's uh, like uh, not even a buy low because he had a big game, but he's the guy you want to buy high on because his stock can rise even higher after this week. Uh, I'm not betting rugs overs in week three because uh, as much as I like the Raiders at home to cover against the Dolphins, who are going to be down there, you know, at least a banged up two, if not per set there, uh, they do have two of the best defensive backs in the league and Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. So I'm not going to bet on any Raiders outside wide receivers to get free against those guys. And it could be, it could be a very positive game script for the Raiders where they might just run the ball more than usual. Uh, if their defense can take advantage of that situation uh, on the Steelers side of things here, Deontay Johnson, that's an injury. We got a monitor. He had 12 targets, nine catches, 95 yards. Uh, Chase Claypool, man, a guy I was really high on. He's really struggling with big Ben, not being able to push the ball downfield, even though Claypool did wind up with nine targets himself finishes with 70 yards. He had a big 50 plus yard catch and actually had a 53% air yard share. Like I was watching this game a lot on Sunday and big Ben was throwing the ball to Claypool down the field. They just weren't having, weren't having the best time connecting, uh, but maybe give some credit as well to the two secondaries that the Steelers have played through two weeks. Like the Raiders have looked much better on defense this year and the bills, you know, lining up Claypool on the outside with a guy like Tredavious white, was was a very tough matchup as well in week one. So I still am bullish on Chase Claypool, especially in the fact he's going to be getting 53% air yards and nine targets in a game. Uh, I do like that usage a lot for a deep threat, explosive talent like Claypool. Um, he had 194 air yards for the game alone. So I'm still buying Chase Claypool. And I think I still, still think he's a solid buy low in fantasy overall. Uh, other than that, like, you know, some boring notes on the tight end situation, the rookie Fryermuth. Uh, routes went to 34% in week one to 55% in week two. Ebron got banged up. Fryermuth caught all four of his targets for 36 yards. Nothing I'm really too crazy about unless you're absolutely desperate in a deep league at tight end off the waiver wire. Um, in terms of week, you know, we talked a little bit about Cincinnati at Pittsburgh in, in week three, so I don't want to hammer that home too much. But uh, I, I would look at uh, Deontay Johnson's health throughout the week because if Johnson's out and those 12, 10 plus targets a game are gone, uh, I, I think. Claypool's a guy. Claypool's a guy. We hit his prop. It was forty six and a half in week two. I don't think the books will adjust it high enough, and uh, I'm not as worried about the Bengals secondary. I think they're solid, but I don't think they're as good as as what the Steelers have faced through two weeks so far. So I do still th- still think there is value on Claypool in the prop market. That's probably a receiving prop. I'll be looking to attack the over on again. Uh, again, is there anything else I missed or anything you got for this game, Steve? I thought it was very interesting that there were 665 combined passing yards between the two teams, uh, but only 91 rushing yards. Uh, the yards per per pass, uh, Vegas, and, and reading stats on a podcast is very boring and it's hard to process. But ultimately, what I'm trying to get at is they, they passed the ball with great efficiency. The yards per rush was not very good. So maybe that is why they did it. But my, my big takeaway here is what is Pittsburgh doing? Uh, they're passing the ball all over the field. Big Ben is regressing. He's he's the 31st-ranked uh, quarterback, according to PFF. Uh, he's not hitting up with Claypool. Why aren't they running the ball more with Najee Harris, trying to establish that run, and then go play action off of that? And that's the time that you're going to hit Claypool. I mean, once you get those safeties pinching in, that's when you should be taking advantage of those kind of things. Um, I went back and looked at what Vegas and what Buffalo were last year against the run. Uh, Las Vegas was 23rd, and Buffalo was 20th. You've invested a first-round pick in Najee Harris, who did catch five passes. I'm not saying that he's he didn't wasn't involved in the passing game, 
but he's only 3.8 yards per carry. Is this because Pittsburgh can't run the ball, or are they not even giving it a shot? I, I feel like if they can get the run game going, it could unlock some of those other things, and maybe there's not as many receptions to these receivers, but maybe there's more efficiency if they're able to establish that run, get those linebackers, get those safeties pinching in a little bit. Um, it would certainly open up things deep down, deeper down the field in that respect. Uh, a lot of my notes we touched on previously when we talked about these two teams. I did have Claypool as over longest reception as something I wanted to look at, but I think you bring up a good point. If Deontay Johnson is not playing or if he's severely limited, I think that we pivot to those yardage instead of the longest reception in that respect for Chase Claypool because even if he gets a few more receptions, the amount that he's actually receiving the ball when he's targeted, the percentage is extremely low. It can only go up from here. So if he's getting even more targets, and Claypool has that big playability, whether it's down the field or just basically after the catch, that he's going to be able to, to bust one deep then potentially. And if he's lined at, at 45 or something like that, and we have Deontay Johnson out, that, that's a no-brainer in that respect. Even like 55 yards, that might be something that we look over in that uh, in that game. Yeah, I saw a lot of people last week giving out Marquez Valdez Scantling over his receiving yards. And I think Scantling wound up with like close to 200 air yards Monday Night Football. Comes away in that game with zero catches for zero yards. But I think there's a clear distinction in what you just mentioned with Chase Claypool versus a guy like Marquez Valdez Scantling, where look, like Valdez Scantling has the better quarterback. Okay, obviously Rodgers can th- throw it deep more accurately than Big Ben. But it's the ways in which these deep threats are utilized in their offense to where Claypool's not just running these burner routes down the field. He's a guy that is getting schemed up a little bit here and there. He gets a couple carries every now and again. Uh, you know, he'll be used on wide receiver screen passes to get him rumbling down the field. So, you know, I think that, you know, he's a guy where it's like, we don't just want Claypool running those deep routes, but it's kind of just what he's forced into forced into in this offense, given the profiles of Deontay and Juju and Najee there. So if Deontay ever misses time, which maybe he could this week, then absolutely like Claypool could be even valuable on his his receptions prop alone, getting that work in a different type of role, but still having that big playability. So that's how we look at Claypool overall, looking to attack his props uh, in the market there. I mean, Winston, absolutely terrible. What can you take away? I thought Adam Troutman over two and a half catches was a great bet. Um, close to even money. He had six targets in week one in a game where the Saints barely had to throw the ball. What does Adam Troutman do in week two, Steve? He has absolutely zero targets in the game. So I'm done trying to predict what the pecking order is going to be for the Saints. Uh, Marquez Callaway, a guy who had a ton of preseason hype and fantasy, four targets, two catches, eight yards. Uh, I don't want anything to do with this offense. The only hope you have for salvaging any type of fantasy draft value is an Alvin Kamara. Uh, this is this is basically like what the Saints did to the Packers in Week One. Uh, the Saints got this got this done to them by Carolina in Week Two. Like you can't really take too much away from it. Uh, I will say, Christian McCaffrey, man, like absolute stud. Thirty total touches, one hundred thirty-seven yards in Week One. Thirty total touches, one hundred eighty sixty total touches for three hundred plus yards through two weeks and. We were worried because he left the field due to some type of injury, but it turns out it was just cramps. He got an IV for it and came right back in the game and finished strong. We had the overs on his receiving yards and receptions. Unfortunately, we split that because the receptions lost on the hook. Uh, If he would have stayed in for that whole game, he lost a lot of snaps to Chuba Hubbard when Hubbard got in there. I think we would have cashed that double dip prop there. So 
something I'm definitely going to look to continue to attack in the future, but not for this Thursday night. I just think that, again, the Panthers' defense can really run out on the Texans and build a big lead where they're simply – this is going to be like an opportunity to give their workhorse some rest where Christian McCaffrey could have a huge first half in this game. Uh, But if they build a multi-touchdown lead, how much they really need to give CMC extra work in the second half. And, hey, you know what? This is our franchise guy. This is our best player. We're going to have 10 days rest after this game. Uh, let's give CMC the rest that he deserves because this guy is an absolute stud on the field in real football and in fantasy football alike. Uh, And I love the way that that DJ Moore is being used in this offense. DJ Moore, 11 targets, eight catches, 79 yards. Now you look at overall compared to what him and Robbie Anderson have done through two weeks. Moore has 19 targets, 14 catches, 159 yards. Robbie Anderson, basically less than half in every area, in every area, except for the yards, nine cat, nine targets, four catches, 95 yards I think DJ Moore is another guy where hey look like this was a blowout game where the Panthers didn't really need to press the ball through the air I think DJ Moore is a buy high where his value could even go up even more once he starts to become more efficient at catching touchdowns in this offense and higher scoring matchups so I think I would still try to buy on DJ Moore because I believe he's only scratched maybe 65 70 percent of his potential uh, in this offense he had a 42 percent first half target share So the target share overall for the game doesn't look too elite in terms of that because, you know, it was a complete blowout. So that, that, that's kind of my only thing with DJ Moore is I think that the numbers on paper look great, but you look even closer into what happened with the game script. Those could have, those could have been even better there. And Darnold's doing his thing. He's feeding the ball to Moore. He's feeding the ball to McCaffrey. And it's really hard for any other of these ancillary guys to really chip in much. Like we, we, we won on the hook with Terrace Marshall. We had over two and a half catches to him finishes with three catches, that's probably a prop I'm not going to go back to because it's really tough for those third, fourth options in this in this receiving game to get going and get that volume when you got, got guys like Moore and McCaffrey soaking up all the targets from Darnold. So that's my overall there. Um, you know, Again, the blowout situation in Thursday night, I'm backing off any overs for Carolina. If anything, I might look towards some unders there. Um, and then in, in, with New Orleans at, uh, at New England next week, uh, that's another thing where, look, Bill Belichick's what's Bill, Bill, Bill Belichick, excuse me, going to try to do in week three. Uh, I think he's got to have to try to take out Alvin Kamara. Uh, can he actually do it is the question, but that's going to be a game where it, it could be really ugly between the saints and, and, and the Patriots in week three. But what do you got in this game, Steve? The new Orleans saints, uh, they came into the year, an average team for me after that dominant win in green Bay, I moved up two and a half points, which is one of the biggest increases, uh, I make in my power ratings from week to week. Uh, this game obviously put them back down. I mean, they went from up two and a half, now down a full uh, point and a half here coming into week three. So they've been all over the map. Carolina is another team that uh, has increased value consistently over the course of time here. And, and I'm looking at my power ratings as you're talking, Chris, just going over everything. I still have Carolina power rated a, a full point less than New Orleans. It's funny that, that a lot of the power ratings that you do in, you know, Every process that you have is flawed, no matter what you're doing. But your perception of the team at the beginning of the year impacts where they are in your power ratings at, at going into week three um, substantially still. I, I don't even know if Carolina and New Orleans played again. Carolina's going to win the game. They're going to be favored. And yet here I am having them as a, a, a dog on a neutral. Uh, that is certainly something I'm going to have to take a look at after we're done here. Um, a couple notes on the game. Saints were outgained by 250 yards. Kamara limited to five yards rushing and 25 yards receiving. 
Now he goes to play in New England uh, against a a a defensive coordinator slash coach that is certainly going to take him away. Um, I don't. I would probably look to Kamara's unders again. I mean, New Orleans is very good against the run. I'm sorry, not New Orleans. Carolina is very good against the run, but uh, New England can take their best player away, and he's by far the best player right now with Michael Thomas out. Um, Winston is back to his old ways again. He is a quarterback that can take take a thing and give it away, um, and he certainly has done that through week one and two here. Uh, the New Orleans Saints were 2-11 and on third down, 0-2 on fourth down. They had six more penalties, 66 uh, more penalty yards. They lost time of possession by 17. And I don't know why I missed this the first time through, but if you take a look at the amount of plays that each team performed, or there was 43 plays for the Saints. There was 30 more plays run by the Carolina Panthers on Sunday, which is astronomical to me. They almost doubled the amount of plays run uh, than the Saints did. That just shows you how dominant of a performance that was. Uh, they're not as good as they – New Orleans isn't as good as they looked in week one. They're not as bad as they looked here. The same old story here. we got to figure out where exactly they are. And maybe where they are is wherever Winston is. So if you can get him to turn the ball over and, and disguise those coverages – Maybe those are the games that we fade New Orleans. And against a defense that isn't all that great, maybe that's when we try to, to, to play on them. Uh, Carolina is year two under Matt Rule. And if you go back in time, even to his college days, he does better as the years progress. In year two, it's a, a dramatic increase from year one when he takes over new programs. And I, I think we're seeing that with Carolina. Clearly, you didn't know how he would translate as an NFL coach versus a college coach, but we're seeing it's paying dividends already. Uh, Sam Darnold was cast off for dead. He's somehow been a reclamation project over 300 yards passing with two touchdowns. Uh, McCaffrey, not as efficient as a run uh, at running the ball, but New Orleans is stout against the run. You mentioned DJ Moore. So I'm not going to highlight that. Uh, I I do want to bring up one thing and you touched on it and I'm curious your thoughts on it. So I'm going to kick it over to you here in a second. Robbie Anderson uh, bet the unders the first couple weeks here. It's now lined at three and a half and uh, I wish that we talked earlier and had this conversation, but money has come in on his over. It's three and a half for Robbie Anderson for someone that was getting a ton of targets last year. Obviously we haven't seen as many this year uh, with McCaffrey back in the fold. Is that too low? Is it time to buy his in, in the player prop market? I'm not talking about fantasy. I'm talking about player prop market. Is that something that we should look to the over three and a half here, Chris, or do you think, uh, that there's so many targets to go to McCaffrey and, and obviously DJ Moore that there's nothing left over for him, for Terrence Marshall, th- those sort of players. Well, I do agree with that. And then just just this game script, I think the way it's looking to play out Thursday night is that you know in a normal game where even if the Panthers were, let's say, four or five, six-point favorites, then I would say, okay, you know what? Robbie Anderson can get there. Um, but in, in this type of situation, the Texans are, are eight-and-a-half-point dogs at home I remember when I checked this morning, it was seven and a half or seven. Uh, Who knows how much the line is going to continue to move in that direction. So I just don't see the Panthers. If it plays out the way that Vegas is indicating, the Panthers simply will not need to throw the ball in the second half of this game. We could literally see them milk the clock with the backup running back, Shuba Hubbard, and really kind of just protect the weapons on offense with Sam Darnold, with DJ Moore, with Robbie Anderson, et cetera. So if he's going to get there, it's going to have to be early. And with the volume he's had so far this season, uh, I would have a tough time getting there. Even last week in a game where the offense was out there for those extra plays, as you talked about, Steve, he had six targets, three catches for 38 yards. So still didn't get there last week. Uh, The under four and a half catches was a play that I liked 
but didn't wind up giving out because I thought that the Panthers would be in catch-up mode against New Orleans, given that the Saints were the favorites in that game, obviously still played out in a way where the Panthers were very pass-happy and Robbie Anderson still didn't get that mark. So I actually think if, if, if a gun to my head, I would have to bet Robbie Anderson under again, which you're actually getting nice value on at plus 125 in this game because Brent, Robbie Anderson, you know, he last year, he actually had rapport with Teddy Bridgewater. They had played together prior to him getting there. They had the former college rapport with him and the coaching staff as well. Um, but they've switched roles this year. Like DJ Moore was the down threat burner guy last year, and they were running Robbie Anderson underneath. They completely, which, you know, that was the smart move because DJ Moore is the younger, more athletically gifted receiver, whereas Robbie Anderson's more of the skinny speed guy, vertical threat down the field. So, I'm ha- I'm happy they did that for DJ Moore's sake, but due to Robbie Anderson being in that new role now, even dating to his days in, in New York with the Jets when he played with Sam Darnold, he was not getting those looks consistently. Like he would connect on one or two deep plays a game. So like I'm not gonna bet Robbie Anderson under receiving yards, but I could possibly look to bet him under receptions for this game. Uh I just don't know if I'm getting there yet for this game because of so many unknowns on the Texan side of things. So that's how I'm, I'm looking to attack this game. And then last thing, maybe something I'm eyeing due to the, again, the projected game script here, how bad will Davis Mills be with the Panthers defense looking as good as it has been through two weeks. Maybe we want to look at Sam Darnold under pass attempts, which is at 34 and a half right now, juice minus 125 to the under on DraftKings. not an official play for me, but def, definitely in terms of me looking at all the unders for this game, that's a prop I am eyeing right now. I just got to dig a little bit, into it more on my side of things. Uh, let's move on to the next, Steve here. Uh, Denver won 23 to 13 on the road at Jacksonville. Um, we continue to cash our props tickets on Javante Williams. I, I was kind of making a joke with sleeping on Twitter where it's like, if I could have one thing, it, it would have been for DraftKings to put up the rushing attempts line because I think it got hammered to the over earlier last week. And then I don't think they ever put it back up. I was able to bet it uh, at bet online with their prop builder tool. Uh, and a couple other books wound up putting it back up, but not DraftKings. So maybe they didn't want exposure on that. But Javante Williams, again, had just as much, if not more carries than Melvin than Melvin Gordon did for two straight weeks. They both had 13 carries in this game. Javante Williams, though, 64 yards on 13 carries. Melvin Gordon, less than half that, 31 yards on 13 carries. So Javante Williams comes away from week two against a pretty bad defense where he averaged 4.9 yards per attempt. Gordon, 2.4 yards per attempt. Without that 70-yard touchdown from Gordon in week one, you know, we're looking at things completely different in this backfield here. And the fact that, hey, look, again, Judy's out. The defense is is, is how this team wants to attack and try to win games this year with, you know, a, a relatively game-managing type of quarterback under center, although Teddy's been really good. Um, but I think that just lends itself to a rookie running back getting more and more steam as the season moves along, getting more trust from his coaching staff. I will be looking to attack Javante Williams again. We had his over carries last week. It, it was 10 and a half. We had over 43 and a half rushing yards. I'll be looking to play those again in week three uh, at home against the New York Jets, where the defense could really hassle Zach Wilson in this game, as we mentioned uh, before. I don't know if the books are going to adjust Javante Williams' props high enough. So I'm looking again towards the over on his carries, again towards the over on his rushing yards, and maybe even towards Cortland Sutton, man. Cortland Sutton's a guy, his season-long receiving prop under was one of my favorite plays, but it was because of his health. And, And week two showed that, this guy is healthy, at least for now. 67% air yard share, 258 air yards in week two. That's the highest in a single game this year. 
Uh, he's the only true wide receiver threat in this offense now without Jerry Judy. Puts up nine catches for 159 yards on 12 targets. That's a 35% plus target share in a game where it was a positive game script and the Broncos didn't even really need to throw the ball that much. So I'm looking towards Sutton overs with the air yards. He actually left on the field despite getting 150 plus yards in the box score. I think that's an area worth looking to as well, especially for DFS for a high ceiling type of guy. And then, uh, you know, the Jaguars offense is something we we're going to have to avoid all season long. I, I'm not even blaming Trevor Lawrence. I think this is like an Adam Gase situation where I think Urban Meyer is going to simply drag down everyone that runs across his path offensively in the NFL. And Trevor Lawrence, you know, a couple a, a couple passes he completed in this game looked really good. But when you look at the underlying numbers, man, 3.6 yards per attempt, less than 30% completion percentage, he was bad. And, and I just, you know, Marvin Jones, okay, he had 11 targets, 55 yards, six catches. He's the only guy we can look at in this offense. Maybe James Robinson uh, receiving overs, maybe Marvin Jones receiving overs if there's any value there because this team's going to be playing from behind pretty much every game this year. They have a very tough home game against the Arizona Cardinals in week three where the Cardinals offense is going to eat against the Jacksonville Jaguars defense, which means the Jaguars are going to have to push the ball down the field earlier than not. And uh, I'm expecting turnovers from Lawrence. And it's going to be tough, man. Uh, for me, in terms of overs, the only two places I can look for the Jags are Marvin Jones and James Robinson because James Robinson, his routes got up to 60-plus percent this week. He also increased his snap shares and his rushing attempt shares as well. So finally starting to get more work than Carlos Hyde, which is at least one thing we can give credit to Urban Meyer for doing in week two. So that's my overall notes on this game. I know, you know, not too much to say for Jacksonville – but uh, what are you doing for Denver in terms of power rating-wise going into week three, Steve? I left them where they were. Uh, they were dominant. So I do have them ranked the 11th team in the NFL. I, I can make a case that it should have been bumped up a half a point. But I think this dominant performance is more in line with the ineptitude of Jacksonville. Uh, you're looking at the score. It's only a 10-point game. The game wasn't even close. Uh, you look at the opening possession where Jacksonville received the kickoff drove down the field and immediately scored a touchdown. And from the outsider perspective, you know, if you're watching red zone, you don't notice uh, you're going, what the hell just happened? They just marched it right down the field on Denver, a team like Jacksonville that's been mired in controversy and they score immediately. It took them 11 plays. They converted four th third downs conversions. And that's how they scored the opening possession. They didn't score another offensive point the rest of the game. They have a, uh, a kickoff return at the end of the game uh, to make it look closer than it was. This game should have been 23-7 to to end the game. Um, as far as conversions of third downs, I told you that they had four on the opening possession. They had four for the entire game. This team is that bad. They're not good. Um, Urban Meyer is in over his head. or I don't even know if he's in over his head or if he just doesn't care. He's got a ton of money. He's at the end of his career. Uh, it was it just the stars aligned, kind of like Phil Jackson going back to to, to the New York Knicks. Um, yeah. It just isn't going to work out. I mean, it's very apparent. He's arguing already with his assistant coaches. They feel like he, he's demeaning to them. Um, these are not college athletes that are impressionable minds. These are, are professional athletes that get paid to do this that don't want to be talked down to. Um, I think that Jacksonville, are, are their, their stock is way, way down for me. And I don't know if it's down far enough. I, I could see it even bottoming out even further. Right now, I have them the 30th, tied for the 30th ranked team in the NFL, minus seven and a half points worse than an average team. 
and I, I may be too high on them right now. Um, going in, uh, you know, playing against Arizona, typically blindly you want to bet an zero and two team at home against a two and zero team. I can't bring myself to do that. Does anyone find confidence in Jacksonville to be able to even put up points against Arizona? Um, not necessarily because Arizona's defense is good, but because Jacksonville's offense is that bad. Uh, Jacksonville's defense was is okay, um, but Kyler Murray is going to torch them. I, I don't think they're going to be able to put up the amount of points they need to, to to cover any kind of spread here. Even a backdoor cover, Trevor Lawrence, who is supposed to be the second coming of John Elway or Jesus, one of the two, um, is not living up to the part right now. None of the rookie quarterbacks have uh, been very impressive. Uh, Matt Jones had a decent week one. Week two, he was okay. Uh, but Trevor Lawrence uh, is not instilling confidence in me for sure. Uh, regarding Denver, uh, they were down seven on the opening possession, like I mentioned, but that that didn't really matter. Uh, their defense was fantastic. One of those plays on third down, they stop them. Uh, we're not really talking about anything positive from Jacksonville at all. Um, I did have Bridgewater that he's looking good, but he's doing so against the Giants defense, which wasn't very good and hasn't been very good the first two games, and Jacksonville, which is a dumpster fire. So how much is this? Is, is Bridgewater being awesome? versus the teams that he's playing against. I obviously had noted that Javante Williams had the same amount of carries and twice as many yards as Melvin Gordon. I think that timeshare over the course of time here is obviously going to go towards Javante Williams' uh, favor. So with more opportunities, more yards, more over-rushing attempts, those are things I'm going for. Uh, With Jerry Judy, it was interesting to see how many targets Cortland Sutton got. 12 targets is a ton of targets, twice as many as anybody else on the team. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that moves forward in, in a game where they really didn't need to throw the ball. I mean, I, they did throw it 34 times, but they didn't need to. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in a game that's a little bit closer, uh, that may be in doubt if they continue to just feast on him and, and Noah Fant. Are, like, are those the two targets? Is that 1A and 1B? Um, I, I'll kick it over to you in that respect, uh, Chris, and let you respond there. Yeah, I think it's the clear 1A in Sutton, and then 1B might just be a, a rotating theme throughout the year until if they get Judy back healthy, which is still a big if. The fact that high, high ankle sprain injuries for wide receivers like him can really linger throughout the year. So I'd even consider dropping Jerry Judy if I'm in like a shallow league, 10-team league, where the waiver wires would be so rich with talent every single week, breakout guys, rookies, et cetera. Um, that's how I'd look at it. But, I mean, look, just like you said, like, the Broncos didn't really need to press the issue that much in this game, but I think they were trying to get Cortland Sutton right because before he went down with his ACL injury last year, uh, he was on the verge of being one of the next breakout receivers in his own right as well. Uh, so if he's able to be this productive and get the opportunity in this type of game script, then I think he's a guy where, look, even though, okay, typically you can't really take advantage of the market on a guy the following week when he goes you know, 12 targets, nine catches, 159 yards, with all the underlying info we mentioned with the target share percentage, the air yard share percentage, et cetera. But it's possible we get that opportunity in week three against a very bad Jets secondary as well. And I, I see the game, game script playing out almost identically to how it did in week two here. So there still could be value on Cortland Sutton overs being that he didn't really do anything in week one, then comes out with this huge game in week two, which we've seen the potential for him before to do that. And again, he left about 100 air yards on the field as well. Him and Teddy were very close to connecting on a few more deep balls where if they did connect, you're talking about a guy that might have finished the week with 10 catches for 200-plus yards. So I still want to be mindful of potentially taking advantage on overs for Sutton in this offense here. Let's talk about another uh, 
another game, uh, you know, we obviously mentioned Arizona at Jacksonville in week three. Uh, let's talk about the Cardinals here. They eked out a win at home, 34-33 over the Vikings. Uh, not too much for me, Steve, in terms of looking ahead to week three because we talked about Arizona at Jacksonville already. I think Rondale Moore uh, being a rookie, being that, you know, he just had his first real breakout game in the NFL. You know, that was one of my favorite props in week one was over two and a half catches. Uh, the market still might not be quick enough to adjust to just how talented this rookie is. I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be pushing back on Rondale Moore because they're going to say, hey, look, you know, this guy had eight targets, seven catches, but so far through two weeks, he's only ran 38 routes altogether. But how it works with rookies is that they start off getting limited playing time and their routes are low and their snaps are low to start the year. But uh, targets are earned. Targets are an earned stat. And if you're seeing a guy who's only running half the routes or less, but he's leading the team in targets in a shootout, uh, that's indicative of massive things to come. So if you do not have Rondell Moore and he's on your waivers, I, I wrote an article about this before week one started saying that he should not be available in any leagues, uh, regardless of size. Uh, Rondell Moore could be the guy who helps win your league at the end of the year. I do think he's that talented and could be the perfect complement in a 1A, 1B role with DeAndre Hopkins in this offense here. Again, eight targets, seven catches, 114 yards, gets a touchdown, has the long catch of 72 yards, flashes his yards after the catch ability. He's the perfect fit for Kingsbury, the perfect fit for Kyler Murray. He can take it deep. He can catch shallow routes and make things happen with his speed on the field. So I really love what I'm seeing for more. And, and I would go as high to bid you know, 30% borderline of my free free agent budget in terms of my fab bids for this week tonight as well in fantasy. Um, other than that, two props that we that I played unders on in week two, Steve. A.J. Green, I played under 40 and a half yards, and I played James Conner under one and a half catches. Now, James Conner, uh, if you see an under on him for the future – uh, just for receiving, just bet, just bet the under because this guy hasn't had a target in two games so far. He didn't have a single target in week one. I didn't understand why his receptions prop was one and a half for week two. I think hey, even if this guy gets a catch, gets lucky enough to get one catch, we're still going to win that under prop. Uh, AJ Green, on the other hand, barely beats our underplay. Uh, it took a touchdown late, and basically the defense was scheming away Rondell Moore and DeAndre Hopkins at that point, pretty much leaving AJ Green wide open on the side of the field. He caught a pass, wound up taking it in about 15 yards for a touchdown. So good play from him. But even then, A.J. Green, six targets, three catches, 44 yards. Uh, we almost won that one, lost shortly on that prop there. But his under three and a half catches did cash. Uh, Sleepy mentioned that as a solid play on our Player Props Money Picks podcast there too. So there's a lot of things I like to take out of the Cardinals because they're operating their offense, Steve, at such a high pace the volume of plays week to week, regardless of the game script is extremely high. They run at a high tempo, a lot of snaps, a lot of plays, a lot of passes, a lot of explosive plays. So these are things I want to attack. Even, even for a guy like Chase Edmonds, who had 13 touches, 75 yards and five targets. You look at James Conner, eight touches, 26 yards and zero targets. So especially in a PPR type of league, I really do like Chase Edmonds there. Uh, but then Rondale Moore, again, 34% targets per route run, and he's still running less than half the routes for the entire game. So as his routes continue to increase, man, this this is a guy who, who we could see getting 10-plus targets and cracking 100-plus receiving yards almost in a week-in and week-out basis because the explosiveness is there, and he's in the perfect scheme. Uh, and then 
last note I'll make for Minnesota side is that they're at home against Seattle. That that game again has another shootout written all over it to me. Uh, KJ Osborne, second year receiver. We heard nothing about him in his rookie year, but he's now leading the team in a lot of statistical categories in targets and receiving yards and yards per catch. Uh, he wound up having six targets, five catches, 91 yards and a touchdown winds up getting a 64 yard touchdown earlier in the week. He's a guy I, I would spend easily up to 15 to 20% of my waiver budget on if I need a starting wide receiver, because I believe, I believe that he's going to be here to stay in that offense playing in a three wide receiver set role with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, he's going to benefit from the extra attention those guys get on the outside. And we played in one of our subscriber props. We gave out KJ Osborne over 34 and a half receiving yards. He cashed out in the first play of the game for the Vikings there. So I do like KJ Osborne. I still think there will be value on him because how much of the book's going to adjust on the guy who's basically a no name coming in the last week. Uh, His role is solid in this offense and get playing against the Seahawks, who are going to push the ball downfield in week three, I think there'll be a lot of value on K.J. Osborne. Same way I think there's going to be a lot of value still on Rondale Moore in week three for Arizona. Uh, anything else you see for this game, Steve, that stands out? Uh, Minnesota should have won the game. They missed a 37-yard field goal to win it. And I, I think that may actually provide value for week three. Um, we'll get into that in a second, but you know, YPP, both teams were above seven uh, yards per play. Minnesota was awful on third down efficiency at 20%. They did find the run game, which was non-existent in week one. So that was good to see Dalvin cook. He's too talented not to, to bounce back there. Uh, but Minnesota was plus two in turnovers and lost the game. Uh, that's, that's not good. That's not good. I, I didn't officially move either of these teams in my power ratings at all from this game, actually. Uh, Murray threw for 400 passing yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. Um, I had Edmonds as the same amount of carries as Connor, but his production is just significantly better. Uh, at, over the course of time, you would assume that Chase Edmonds should be getting more of the looks than Connor, and certainly in the passing game, which, Chris, obviously you just mentioned. Uh, but the Connor unders have to continue for us. Uh, Rondell Moore was the leader in targets, and you know I, you're very high on him. Uh, one of the things that I, I think that – needs to be taken in consideration and tempering expectations moving forward a little bit is DeAndre Hopkins only had four targets. He had four receptions for 54 yards on four targets. You would expect him to get a significant higher target share moving forward. He's too talented. Obviously, Minnesota tried to take him away, and it was effective. They had a chance to win the game. They should have won the game. Uh, But you have to think that a lot of those targets are going to go back in, in DeAndre's direction. Rondell Moore is talented. You watch this guy on the field. You don't need even need to be a football guy to realize that he has talent to, to receive those targets and, and to find production from it. Uh, but to expect seven receptions again, or, you know, I, I don't know what the number is going to come at, but I'm, I'm very interested. I, I think either way there could be value. I think the books really need to be careful with whatever they align Rondell Moore reception total is this upcoming week here. Um, as far as uh, Minnesota, uh, they're a home dog. With Mike Zimmer, who is the the best against the spread coach currently in the NFL, uh, and they haven't played all that great. I mean, ultimately they're zero and two right now. That's a team that I want to back, and and they're going against Seattle. Um, I, I don't want to lay. I don't want to take the two points here. This is something that I look for a teaser again. I will be looking for a teaser that will be on my card at some point with Minnesota teasing up through that seven for that advantage teaser. Uh, as far as Arizona goes uh, at Jacksonville, same thing. I mean, you could tease both these teams uh, this upcoming week. Arizona, Minnesota, and I would have no problem with it at all. Um, 
you know, ultimately both teams are good. Minnesota is going to be better than they're performed and certainly better than the record suggests, but they better get their act together soon. Uh, once you get down 0 and 3, 0 and 4, that's when there's a lot of calls for people losing their jobs. Uh, the fan base gets upset. There's infighting in the locker room. They can't afford that. Uh, so ultimately right now uh, I'm going to look to back Minnesota moving forward and, and Arizona, I, we, we've talked about it before. I, I'm not a fan of Jacksonville. I, I will not be backing them. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with that for the most part. And again, with the Rondell Moore situation, he doesn't need to get eight targets a game. I, I think that'll balance itself out. Here's the thing that I want to notice. For, I, I want to note for that game is that Hopkins can easily increase that target share um, and Moore can still stay with, at where he was at for week two, because the tight end Max Williams had seven targets, seven catches for 94 yards after I believe just one target in week one. So the opportunity is still going to be there, you know, getting targeted 13 times on 38 routes through two weeks. That's an elite level right there. And that speaks to Moore's talent, being able to run deep routes and catch balls in the short areas of the field and make something happen with his explosiveness. So Definitely, like you said, Steve, keep an eye out for the overs on more because they just might not be set high enough starting out the year with the talent like him. And I do like his matchup against Jacksonville in week three, just as I like Minnesota's matchup against Seattle in week three with, you know, KJ Osborne over. Is there value on Justin Jefferson? He had a 60% air yard share in week two. Uh, Is there value in Dalvin Cook if he's healthy with Minnesota playing at home trying to establish the run? This this is a guy who's had 20-plus carries now in back-to-back games. Uh, Kirk Cousins has been slinging it in in these shootout type of environments. I mean, 72% completion rate, uh, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. So as much as the Vikings want to run the ball, their defense just isn't that good. And I I think Seattle, Russell Wilson, could easily pick them apart on the road, uh, which might just force them to throw it again, which is why I like Osborne, possibly Jefferson uh, as well. But – Moving on, Steve, to Atlanta, 25. Tampa Bay wound up blowing them out here. Atlanta was keeping it close in the second half. Ryan pretty much fell apart with the pressure from Tampa Bay's defensive line. But uh, nothing really stands out too much to me here, except for the fact that it's basically a split backfield now. Cordero Patterson and Mike Davis, uh, they, they each had you know key touches. They each were semi-productive in the passing game. Calvin Ridley finally got there, 10 targets. Had a halfway decent game. Nothing great in terms of his standards. Uh, Kyle Pitts, he got there as well, had a decent game. Russell Gage got hurt, had seven targets, extremely low A dot in that game. Um, I, I think that you could possibly look to buy the dip on Calvin Ridley, although I, I do think he has a relatively tough matchup against James Bradbury, possibly in week three with the Giants, uh, because Calvin Ridley, he's gotten under his total pretty significantly through two weeks. So how much will the, the books adjust his prop total under uh, to where it has been in like the low 80s? Uh, he did have a 51% air yard share in week two. So maybe there's still value on him and Pitts in terms of the overs and a better matchup here. Uh, but this is an offense I'm really struggling to want to take overs on because of how bad the offensive line and Matt Ryan has looked. Um, Buccaneers side, you know, get right game, squeaky wheel for Mike Evans, who basically did nothing in week one in the opener on Thursday night football. You know, Gronk did his thing. Godwin did his thing, uh, but it's going to be really hard to guess which of these four guys. I mean, Antonio Brown did absolutely nothing, didn't really need to. Uh, You could see one or two of these guys pop off week to week, and it's almost like playing whack-a-mole. You don't know which one to play over. It might be more profitable to play unders because, you know, how much is Tampa Bay going to need to throw the ball on on a weekly basis? Although I do think it's going to be a tough matchup in week three 
Uh, I'd look towards you know, the Rams running back under rushing yards uh, with Tampa, Tampa Bay's run defense going into week three. Maybe Rams wide receiver overs, like we mentioned earlier, you know, maybe there's still value on Gronkowski and the fact that, you know, he's playing like his old self and getting targeted at a very high rate in this offense too. So uh, those are the only notes I have uh, for those two teams. Any, anything else I'm missing here or are you pretty much on the same page or anything you're doing power ratings wise with Atlanta or Tampa Bay? Uh, Tampa Bay, I didn't move at all. Uh, Atlanta did move a half a point down. Uh, they are three points worse than an average team. I think the big takeaway from this weekend is that Gronkowski should be announcing games at all times, Chris. I'm not sure if you caught the uh, Manning special on uh, ESPN2 last night, but it was absolutely fantastic. Um, I missed that. My, my buddy was telling me to tell me to turn it on. And I wind up not being able to catch it, but it, it was that good, huh? I Honestly, the Mannings, Eli and Peyton, first off, they're hysterical together. The way they make fun of each other, it's it's they're funny. They're funny in that respect, and they know football. So when they're talking about a play, you know, the announcers, we've been hearing it forever. There's not a whole lot new um, with the announcers. I think that's why everyone loved Tony Romo because it was something different. But watching this, they're talking about the plays and breaking it down and what they're seeing, what they should have done, who messed up in a way that's not normal on a telecast. I can watch the game. I don't need an announcer to kind of break it down from that perspective. If I can hear almost like what a coach or a quarterback sees on a play, that is significantly more interesting to me. Um, and, and Gronkowski came on. He was just hysterical. There's just something wrong with him. Uh, and, and if I could listen to him all day, I definitely would. Um, one of the things that he mentioned is that he doesn't watch game film. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it's very funny. He said he just goes up to Tom Brady and asks him what the defense is going to do. Um, so I, how, how do you not root for this guy, especially now that he's not with Bill Belichick in New England? Uh, but getting back to the handicap here a little bit, uh, it was a three-point game entering the fourth quarter. And Atlanta never scores again. Tampa Bay went on a 20 to nothing uh, fourth quarter run, which is fantastic. Um, they can turn it on whenever they want to. Uh, it was a little deceptive because when you look at that, you know, they, they had a 28 to 10 lead in the third quarter. So it's not like that. They, this was a close game throughout Atlanta came back into it, scored two uh, quick touchdowns in the third quarter. Um, and, and then they just put them away. Tampa Bay is just obviously their superior Atlanta. I don't think is that good. They are minus 49th in point differential through two weeks. Uh, he gives up the most points per game in the NFL, 40 points per game. Uh, I do think Daniel Jones could have a decent game against this Atlanta defense. Uh, Matt Ryan looked pretty decent. You know, one of the uh, people I was listening to mentioned that he danced around the pocket, avoided a lot of the sacks, which was impressive, especially for someone that's not known for being fleet of foot in that respect. But he had three interceptions. Um, they couldn't run the ball, 2.8 yards per carry. Uh, Pitts, Ridley, Patterson, uh, Gage, and Davis all had at least six targets. So he spread the ball out all over the place. Uh, he did throw 46 times, though. So I guess when you have that many attempts, you're going to have that many targets to go around. Uh, Atlanta only lost the y YPP 0.7 in this game, but they lost by 23 points. So I think if you have a lot of those people that look at that statistic and, and try to, to, to find value in it, moving forward to the Giants, maybe that's why you see Atlanta coming off of that three and, and only getting two and a half points in some shops right now. Um, I don't think that they quit in the game, but I don't think they're very good. Uh, but you also have a Giants team that's not that good. So looking to week three, um, you know, both 0-2 teams, both teams, whoever loses is completely out of the division. Um, I, I think the Giants at home, I anticipated this with the Giants, that they're going to start off slow and get better. Atlanta, I don't know if that was the expectation. You have a quarterback there that is uh, entrenched, that's been there forever. You would have thought they would have hit the ground running. That's not what happened. 
in regards to Tampa, there's not much to take away. Uh, I think Mike Evans looked fantastic concerning that he was supposedly hobbled. Um, and just to reiterate, we took that uh, Los Angeles Rams plus two, and we teased it all the way up to plus eight uh, in one of our teasers. Yeah, I mean, pretty much we talked about a lot of it, talking about the early games with the Rams already, you know, going up against Tampa Bay. We talked about Rams Colts. We also mentioned it when we talked about Washington, New York Giants, talking about the Giants hosting the Falcons here. So I don't want to add too much on that. I thought you had some really good points there, but let's move on. We got a couple more games to wrap up here. Uh, The Cowboys won by three points on the road, 20 to 17 over the Chargers in a game where a lot of people bet the over, thought it was going to be a shootout here. A lot of people, you know, this was the chalk lineup in DFS where, Basically, if you faded this game in DFS, you pretty much did well in, in, in your DFS contest over the weekend because uh, this game let, let a lot of people down with Amari Cooper busting, Justin Herbert, Dak Prescott pretty much busting in fantasy overall in terms of what we thought would be a very fantasy-friendly environment. Uh, <clears throat> CeeDee Lamb, he got there, you know, nine targets, eight catches. But uh, let's talk about the backfield here because Tony Pollard, 16 touches altogether, 140 yards and a score. Zeke, 18 touches just 97 yards and a score as well. But, you know, they both played well. I'm not saying Zeke looked bad, but Pollard is kind of forcing his hand to demand more touches in this offense here. Um, Although I will say when you look at some of the underlying numbers, he did have 16 touches, but he only played 21 snaps in the game. So uh, they're they're basically giving him the ball when he's on the field. Uh, I I would like to see some more snaps for Pollard, but I think that Zeke is going to consistently play more snaps because of his pass blocking. And I think that could be a re- reason why you might want to temper expectations a little bit for Pollard, where <clears throat> he just might not be on the field enough to deliver this type of performance, you know, on a consistent basis. He was the running back four overall in fantasy this past week, but uh, he only ran seven routes. I think, I think we want to see that increase, even though he had three targets in the game. Uh, Cooper got banged up. <clears throat> Again, I'm worried about Cooper with no Gallup in this offense because if he's going to be running those outside type of routes, he can be shattered and matched up on the outside by the opposing defense's top cornerback. And again, that's something I mentioned earlier in the podcast here is that that's an area where we've seen Cooper shut down and be really disappointing in the past, especially if, especially if you had some type of lingering injury on top of that here, but um, you know, big, big, big ups for lamb in terms of, you know, wheels up for him moving forward, 30, 30% plus targets per route run in each of the first two weeks. His routes rose. He wasn't even playing full-time in week one with 15 targets. His routes rose in week two, even though his targets were down. So something you really like to see that the box score is not going to tell you. I, I think Lamb, like, if you could somehow buy him via trade in fantasy, uh, there could be some huge, massive games for him upcoming. And I'm still willing to bet uh, the overs on his props, especially with the type of routes he's running in the slot and getting manufactured touches in this offense. Uh well, we could see next week if Cooper plays, uh, Darius Slay could shadow Amari Cooper, and we're just going to get a monster game from CeeDee Lamb again. I think we're going to see a lot of that as as we continue to see this Dallas offense without Michael Gallup week in and week out. Um, as far as the Chargers go, you know, Eckler was back to his receiving role, didn't have a target in week one, caught all nine of his targets in week two. Uh, no one else with multiple targets or more than two targets outside of Eckler, Allen, Mike Williams, Jared Cook, uh, you know, Mike Williams is, is legit right now. And he's had, he, he's had trouble staying healthy in the past. Also with his role in the, pa- in the past, he was kind of used exclusively as a downfield threat. 
And he's being used now in a way that Keenan Allen's been used, where they're using him in the short areas of the field, intermediate routes. And his size and athleticism in those type of areas of the field gives a clear mismatch for Justin Herbert to target him consistently. And the fact we saw Mike Williams uh, have 10 targets to eight for Keenan Allen, seven catches to four for Keenan Allen, you're seeing that as a product of the new game plan with Joe Brady running the offense there uh, in Los Angeles. So I, I'm really high on um, I'm really high on the Chargers there. I, said, I think I said the coach's name wrong there. My bet on that. Um, I'm really high in the news coaching scheme and regime and the way they're scheming up things for Mike Williams there. So I'm looking towards Mike Williams overs again in what could be maybe a shootout this time for real with, when they go visit Kansas City uh, in week three. Uh, other than that, Steve, anything you want to do, upgrade, downgrade in terms of the Chargers here, in terms of the Cowboys, uh, that's pretty much my overall takeaways on this game. I have them both at one and a half points better than an average team. Uh, I did not move them off of this game. Um, ultimately, if there's any game that bothered me uh, and, and ruined my pocket, uh, it was certainly this one. I think there was four touchdowns that were called back by penalties for the Chargers. It, it was unbelievable. So I told you previously that we were celebrating the one game that had five penalties. This game was infuriating to me to watch. Um, I had an over on uh, the team total for the Chargers. That was 28 and a half. They didn't even sniff it. Um, every time that I thought they were going to start making a run, there was another penalty that called the touchdown back. It was infuriating. I, I do think the Chargers probably should have won the game because of that. Um, but ultimately, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, Dallas is running high right now. There, there's an opportunity to kind of steal this division and run with it. And for the Chargers going, they got to figure things out. Uh, they're not clicking on all cylinders, even on offense. They could put up a ton of yards, but their red zone efficiency is not good at all. Red zone wise, they were three of 10 so far in this year, only 30% in the red zone. Um, the Chargers are fifth in yards per game, but 14th in yards per play. So that's another interesting fact. Uh, Keenan Allen, just four receptions. He's going to be fine. He's the third most target on the team for the, the week. I'm not concerned about him. As far as Dallas goes, as far as the players, I I, I messaged you the other day is, is that Pollard was ranked number one through two games uh, in, in PFF running backs, and Zeke is 40th. So I, yeah. Zeke is still a very good player. And in the pass protection, you see, especially in week one, you saw the blitzes he was picking up, reading the correct person, where to slide that protection. But ultimately, Pollard's going to be the better running back by the end of the year, if not already. It'll be interesting to see if he does get on the field more frequently and if he gets a lot of those uh, those carries and steals that from Zeke. You know, that'll be an interesting, an over for Pollard, under for Zeke, potential moving forward here. Yeah, no, 100%. I agree on that. I think that's going to keep Zeke on the field is the pass blocking and the fact that, you know, you saw pretty much an even split in their overall touches, their overall targets, overall rushing attempts. So, I expect more of the same with that. And, you know, kudos to Zeke for having the, you know, superior pass blocking skills that are going to keep him on the field. In addition to the fact that, you know, they paid him all that money. They want to keep him on the field to at least justify what they paid Zeke. But kudos to them for at least giving Pollard the opportunity and ignoring the contract, at least to an extent in that sense there. But uh, moving on here, the, the last Sunday afternoon game before we get into the primetime games, Tennessee wind up winning at Seattle. Uh, you know, in, in a game that really went down to the wire there in, in OT, Tennessee, you know, put up 33 points on the board after, after they looked really disappointed in week one. I mean, Derrick Henry put up a 50 burger and DFS for fantasy in week two. Um, his receiving work was out of this world compared to, you know, his career 
being known as a guy that's hardly ever used in the passing game, winds up getting six targets, catches all of them for 55 receiving yards. Uh, if you look at him and the the basically the 1B running back, the change of pace back, Jeremy, Jeremy McNichols, uh, both running backs for Tennessee in week two combined nine targets, nine catches for 81 yards. So you're seeing a, a clear change in the offensive game plan where this new play caller is not afraid to get Henry and McNichols involved in the passing game. And and maybe it's been due, due to the fact that they, they've been needed to press a little bit by falling behind in both of these games to open up the season. But it, it's not something where I'm going to immediately go to bet Derrick Henry overs in the passing game because, again, they're at home in week three against Indianapolis, which might not have a healthy quarterback or at least an experienced quarterback under center. So will Henry need to be used in the receiving game in week three? Maybe not. I would probably bet to no. I, maybe there's value on the unders there for Henry um, and maybe value on AJ Brown, AJ Brown, very disappointing day had a couple big drops in that game. uh, Even though they still were able to win, he finishes the day with three catches for 34 yards, but he had nine targets. He had 172 air yards. Uh, AJ Brown's going to be fine. AJ Brown had 42% of the overall air yards in this offense. A couple of those drops go his way. He could have had, he could have had a monster game. So, A.J. Brown just might be the ultimate buy low trade target in your season long fantasy leagues. Um, You know, it's frustrating if you own him now. I get it. But if you're going to get rid of him, make sure you're getting a massive haul in return because this guy has the athleticism and the talent to be a top five wide receiver in fantasy on a weekly basis, especially with Julio Jones on the other side. Even Julio Jones had a touchdown overturn. So I still think there's value on both these receivers. Uh, moving forward, especially against the Colts zone defensive scheme. Uh, They gave up huge plays to Tyler Lockett in week one, huge plays to Cooper Cup in week two. So I think that either one of them, if not both the AJ Brown and Julio could pop off for big games here in week three. And then you look at Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf on the other side, like he's like the second highest by low in the entire NFL, like Lockett, 178 yards, two touchdowns. DK Metcalf, six catches, 53 yards, kind of a pedestrian day for him, but they both had 11 targets. And that's what you want to take away from these first two weeks is that DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett each have the exact same amount of targets through two weeks. It's only a matter of time before defenses have to show more respect to Lockett than they do to Metcalf. And you're going to see that flip from week to week in terms of who's getting those explosive plays. So that's my overall takeaway is buy low AJ Brown, buy low DK Metcalf, uh, and I think you could look to buy low in the prop market as well for DK Metcalf and AJ Brown. The fact that these guys have gone under their totals in each of the first two weeks. Uh, if we see the books start to adjust them under even more, uh, you could see a, a nice little you know buyback opportunity on the overs, given nice matchups we're getting. You know Tennessee at home against the Colts, and then Seattle at Minnesota in a dome, which would, which could be another shootout in our hands for week three. What do you got in this game, Steve? I, I think a lot of the things you said is what I've got. I mean, A.J. Brown, only th- uh, three for 43 on nine targets. I had a note, his game is coming. So I, I am 100% on board with you as a buy-low candidate for the player prop market and certainly for fantasy. Uh, same thing with D.K. Metcalf. Uh, he only had 53. Your point about the, the amount of targets for both of them, uh, clearly shows value in DK, and hopefully we see something in, in the marketplace that we can take advantage of in that respect. Uh, the other thing, going back to Brown for a second, he had 43 yards. The Tennessee Titans had 532 yards of offense, and he only had 43. So wow. 
there's plenty of opportunity moving forward for A.J. Brown to take advantage of um, getting some more of those yardage plays for sure. Um, ultimately, the game itself is a yard uh, is a game of two halves. The first half, S- Seattle won twenty four to nine. Second half, Tennessee won twenty four to seven. That, you know that's the game right there. I, I must be doing something wrong with the calculations because that doesn't add up to the right score. But I can promise you, Seattle was very good in the first half. Tennessee was very good in the second half. And, and, and I think it's a joke. I mean, Derrick Henry is the running back equivalent to Tom Brady. We've heard for years that Tom Brady was going to fall apart and he, he's going to age and he's going to fall off a cliff. Uh, Derrick Henry's had too many carries for the season. Uh, oh my goodness, he did it again. He's even had more than last year. And he had 35 carries for 182 yards and single-handedly took this team on his back in that second half and just ran it down the throat of Seattle and there was nothing they could do to stop it. Uh, the backup running back for Tennessee um, had one carry for three yards. No other running back had a carry except for Derrick Henry's 35 and the backup for one carry. So he's not a bell cow back. He is the entire herd. He he is literally everything to that offense. And it opens up uh, Tannehill. But when he's playing well, Tannehill gets that play action pass. The defense has to stop Derrick Henry first and then worry about Tannehill later. I don't blame them for doing it, but doing either can be very difficult at times. Uh, and, And that's basically where I sit on this game, Chris. I don't have too much more than that. Yeah, and I will add to the fact that, excuse me, that Tennessee's running backs through two games now with McNichols, who is used in the passing game a little bit with Henry, uh, they've combined now for 17 targets, 15 catches, and 124 yards in two games. That's a huge difference with the new OC, but I will have to throw in the caveat that they were trailing in each each of the first two weeks. I don't don't anticipate them getting into a negative game script in week three, uh, as five and a half point home favorites against the Colts with the qu- with the qu- uh, question marks at quarterback for Indianapolis. So I would not go and bet the overs on the receiving, but let's say a week from now, two weeks from now, whenever they get themselves into an underdog situation, I will go back to that and look to attack those running back receiving props over. Uh, but they do have a really soft schedule coming up over the next couple of weeks, which is why I'm probably going to hesitate to play those maybe for the next month, because after at home against the Colts this week, they're at the New York Jets and then at the Jacksonville Jaguars. So Tennessee, man, this was a big win for them. They could easily win the next three games without much competition. And then you're looking at all of a sudden a team that was massively disappointed in week one that's looking at four and one atop a really bad division. So Tennessee could have a clear path uh, to, to winning their division in the AFC South as well. KC winds up losing to Baltimore. I don't know how the Chiefs lost that game. Their, their defense just allowed a lot of backdoor easy plays for the Ravens, but you know, Tyree Kill, to me, it's noise. You know, four targets, three catches, 14 yards. Uh, it seems like the Ravens just specifically went out of their way to completely take him away in this game. And that's why you saw a touchdown pass to Byron Pringle. You saw a touchdown pass to Marcus Robinson. You saw, you know, you know Hardman tie, tie for the team lead with eight targets. Kelsey obviously had a big touchdown play as well with eight targets, 100-plus yards. Uh, the one surprise for me, this is a prop that I liked for the game, was Edward Zelaire. Uh, you know, over, I believe it was, uh, might've been 16 and a half receiving yards or somewhere a little bit less than 20. Didn't have a single target in the game. Uh, he's a guy you just, you just can't bet on. I mean, they, they use the fullback at a target. They use McKinnon third string running back at a target. Uh, you just can't rely on that when Mahomes wants to consistently push the ball downfield, really disappointing day for Edwards. He's had a really poor start to the season in terms of fantasy and where you drafted him this year. 
Uh, and it just looks like overall, like even you, you made the point about Najee Harris earlier, Steve, that uh, it's just possible that CEH, Najee Harris, like they get drafted early by these teams. And, and, and we want to think that they're going to have these massive roles because they're first round picks. But uh, running back, that position is so fickle where it's like you go into a certain situation, like the Steelers offensive line run blocking is terrible. The Chiefs just want to throw the ball all day to their receivers and tight ends. And all of a sudden, you're, Najee Harris really struggles to get going in fantasy, to get going in DFS. Same thing with Edward Zilaire. Like, when are you going to get a game script when Edward Zilaire is really going to smash? And, and it's going to be tough that, to see that happening throughout the course of the season. So I am concerned about him in fantasy, of him struggling to even return, like, low-end RB2 flex value. And then on the other side, Tyson Williams, for me, uh, you know, really good game for him. 13 carries, 77 yards, caught both of his targets for 16 yards. Um, you know, he outcarried both Latavius Murray and Devontae Freeman combined. Those guys had 11 carries combined. Um, the, the Ravens play at Detroit in week three. So Tyson Williams rushing, uh, that's one, one of the props I have circled. He's one of my favorite running backs on DraftKings. Even the fact that he catches a couple passes here and there, as opposed to what J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards did last year in the passing game, makes me like Tyson Williams even more. So he's the guy I have circled for props for week three. And other than that, you know, you saw Marquise Brown take over the wide receiver one role in Baltimore. It was Sammy Watkins in week one. Andrews is kind of just sitting there in between. Could be a buy low, but I hesitate to call any pass catcher a buy low that's getting passes thrown to them by Lamar Jackson. Um, Lamar Jackson seems to be running more than even usual this year. Uh, his, his projected rushing total was in the 60s last week, which is why I actually liked his rushing under against the Chiefs. He'd historically gone under against the Chiefs uh, throughout his career, but this is just a different offense, different situation. He's making the most of the opportunity. So uh, it's good to see Lamar doing that for fantasy with two rushing touchdowns, 100 plus yards. But in week three, to me, Lamar will not need to press the issue running the ball, and they're going to give the ball to the young guy, which is Tyson Williams. I could see him going for easily a hundred plus yards and, and being very efficient against Detroit. Uh, but that's pretty much all I got in, in, in terms of KC for week three, Travis Kelsey against the chargers. Uh, you know, we saw the chargers give up big plays, uh, you know, to tight ends in terms of guys running the slot routes in an offense, CD lamb running the slot against the chargers in week two had a big game. Um, even in week one, when the chargers played against the Washington football team, you know, we, we saw guys in that type of area of the field, have success against them. So there could be value on Travis Kelsey, maybe even Tyree kill. If the book books uh, overreact to him only getting 14 yards in week two, maybe there's a bounce back value for him, but uh, nothing really clear to me off the bat with KC. Uh, other than that, what are your thoughts on this game? Power ratings wise, any adjustments you have, Steve? Uh, nothing too major. Casey, I did not knock him down a, a full point here. I, I think I might've been too high on them as far as the market goes uh, or more so than the market. Uh, as far as Baltimore, I did, bump him up a point. So basically I, I, I got him closer together is what I'm trying to say. So KC is six points better. They are the second ranked team behind Tampa. Uh, Baltimore is now the fifth. Uh, this game should have been won by KC. Uh, there, there was really no excuse for it. And certainly not a team led by Andy Reed and Patrick Mahomes. They had two turnovers late in the second half. And because of that, they lost the game. If they don't have one of those two turnovers, they win the game. It, they were bedeviled by turnovers and ultimately it was their undoing. They were one for six on third downs. Casey was Baltimore was six of 11. So they couldn't stay on the field on offense. They couldn't get off the field on defense. 
Um, Mahomes had 343 yards passing, uh, but that that interception is just inexcusable. And and they posted zero points in the fourth quarter. I mean, ultimately, they didn't have much opportunity because the Ravens held the ball for so long. Uh, and obviously, there was that fumble at the end of the game that that just cemented the victory. Um, I, I do want to remind everybody, including myself, is that the offensive line is completely remade from last year. So there, it's possible that this is just taking longer to to find cohesiveness to really get that uh, the run game going to to get the passing game uh, back to to where it's supposed to be. Uh, but I, I looked; it, they didn't give up. They gave up one sack. So it's not like they're, they're getting killed or Mahomes is running for his life like he was in the Super Bowl. Um, the other thing that I think that is a concern, and you mentioned it with CH, is that they should be able to run the ball. There's so many weapons for KC. They have the best quarterback in the NFL. The defenses are game planning to stop Mahomes or try to slow him down because you can't stop him. No one's paying attention to Clyde edwards Where Where is he? Why isn't he able to get more yards per carry on the ground? 3.4. He, he should be at minimum four yards per carry without question because everyone should be focused on the receivers, Tyree Kill, uh, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, even running the ball. You know, players like uh, the Pringle. I mean, Jesus, anybody that gets the ball in that offense could take it to the house. Demarcus Robinson, Nicole Harmon. These yeah. are all players that should be able to, to get attention from the defense and provide opportunities for for the running game, and there is none for KC, which I think is a problem and needs to be rectified as the season progresses. I don't care how good uh, your quarterback is. You need a run game to be able to balance it even just remotely there. Uh, As far as Baltimore goes, they were 4-for-4 on red zone trips. Uh, I would have thought Lamar Jackson would have been poor in a game that they were trailing. I was wrong. He came back and was great in the second half. Uh, I thought Marquise Brown made the most of his opportunities. Uh, the other things you mentioned, Tyson Williams is getting the bulk of the carries there and should be moving forward. He's the better back. Uh, I also had a note that Tyree Kill is going to be fine. It was only four targets. Obviously, Baltimore tried to take him away. I, I thought they were going to do that zero blitz coverage that they did in week one. They didn't. They played a shell game and said, throw underneath. They took away the, the, the big play uh, receiver, uh, and it showed in, in the box score. So uh, moving forward, I'm not nervous about Tyreek Hill. Uh, I don't think anybody else is, and I don't really think the marketplace is going to react to that, to one down game for for somebody that, that could go for 200 yards at a given day. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100% there. You know, something to keep your eye on just in case, but I, I don't think it will either. And, and, and for Kelsey, for that matter, it's really hard to play those, guy, play those guys overs on a week-to-week basis, but – it could be worth playing Hill, even if the market doesn't adjust, because you're not used to seeing him have back-to-back down games like that. It could be like that squeaky wheel type of situation where the yeah. Chiefs are going back home. You know, they're playing against the Chargers there, and you know, we 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 saw Dallas throw the ball pretty well to their number one receiving option in Ceedee Lamb last last week against the Chargers as well. So maybe it's a bounce back spot for DFS purposes. Definitely, I would be looking to stack. Mahomes with Kelsey and Tyree Kill because they're so expensive that a lot of people just won't go there. It already becomes a contrarian play with a huge ceiling. But you know, we'll talk about that more with Sleepy and Eyes Money Picks, Player Props, DFS podcast later this week. Uh, you know, the only the only thing I could really say w- w- with that game is again, like to me, Tyson Williams, like the ro- the role fits perfectly for him in Week Three because it could be a huge blowout uh, against the Lions on the road there for the Ravens and. Teams have been able to run all over the the Lions basically at will uh, for them. So I I think there could be a lot of value on him just getting garbage time work uh, in that offense with the Ravens being, you know, nine point favorites on the road right now. Uh, That's what DraftKings Sportsbook has it right now. So 
you know, what, what's the rushing prop going to be on Tyson? I don't think they could set it at more than like 59 and a half or maybe even less. I don't know. I'd be surprised if it was any higher than that, to be honest, but I'll be looking to attack there. Uh, last game, Steve, um, you know, Detroit, we mentioned them, you know, the defense, I mean, Aaron Jones just ran all over them. He had 23 touches on 45 snaps, basically getting in touch on, on more than half the snaps in the game. Uh, you know, three receiving touchdowns. We had the over on Aaron Jones, over 16 and a half receiving yards. We also had Swift over his receiving yards. We hit that, although it was late in the game. Uh, DeAndre Swift looked good when he got the ball in his hands. But, uh, you know, overall, I mean, looking ahead to week three, I don't know what else to really look at except for the fact that, you know, this Lions offense, it's all Hawkinson. And then Swift after that. And that's pretty much it. I mean, you, you saw Quintez Seapeth, I, I think, in a, a deep dynasty league, deep fantasy league. He's worth a waiver ad. He ran 90% of the routes, seven targets. He was a solid college prospect but had some off-the-field issues. Uh, so he could be a guy worth targeting uh, with so much junk time coming the Lions' way uh, with Jared Goff trailing in those games. Um, but other than that, there's not really too much else I have um, except for the fact that Swift and Williams, I mean, they, they split touches in this game, but Swift had 12 touches, 78 yards. Jamal Williams, 10 touches, 37 yards. Obviously, Swift is the talent there. And going back to, like, the Chiefs situation, I mean, just imagine if the Chiefs would have drafted DeAndre Swift over Edwards Hilaire. To me, that one didn't make any sense. That Swift was the by far and away the best running back talent in that draft. So uh, I hope he continues to get more uh, work in this Lions offense, especially in the receiving game. When that guy gets a full head of steam downfield with the ball in his hands, like he's a really ex- explosive talent. So it's exciting to see him get that opportunity. Uh, as a, and in terms of the Packers, I mean, you know, Devonte Adams nine targets, but they didn't really need to throw much in the second half. Marcus Valdez Scantling four targets, zero catches, zero yards. So Adams and Jones are really the only ways you want to look in this offense. I mean, even AJ Dillon's usage was pretty surprisingly low. Uh, in this game here. So, you know, w- when we talk about Sunday, uh, Sunday night football next week, Green Bay at San Francisco, I think that Aaron, jo- uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to look towards Devontae Adams. He's going to look towards Aaron Jones again. And those guys could get the volume you, you need to attack. Maybe some of those overs there, just nothing, just nothing strong enough for me to want to make a play on yet as we wait on the lines to come out. And then Hawkinson over, I think you look at the fact that the Ravens gave up a lot of production to Travis Kelsey in week one, they gave up a lot of production to Darren Waller. You throw the junk time factor in there. I don't know if the books are going to adjust the Hawkinson overs high enough. Uh, that was something that I was on the verge of giving out as an official play last night. I worried about the play volume not being there for the Lions late in the game, but Hawkinson got there anyways. Nine targets, eight catches, 66 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Swift receiving yards again. Even Cephas as the third option in the passing game. Those are guys that I'll look towards just in terms of the junk time potential we might see at home for the Lions in week three. But uh, wrap this up, Steve. Anything I missed or anything you want to close out this podcast for for week two heading into week three? Yeah, Aaron Rodgers uh, showed him showed up, obviously, in week two. After a down performance in week one, he had four touchdown passes, ended the game uh, with three straight unanswered touchdowns there. Uh, Devontae Adams is unstoppable, unguardable. It'll be very interesting to see how he does against San Francisco that has a good defense and they can scheme to take players out. So I'm very intrigued you know, as I make a statement that he is unstoppable to see if, in fact, that is true uh, moving forward here. Um, you know, Hawkinson, I had marked down that he was uh, nine targets, eight for 66. Uh, I, I think that is certainly a target that Goff is going to look at moving forward and something that we should look into. 
I, I think right now Detroit, the way that the coach is, he's out of his mind a little bit, but he's motivated those players to think they can beat anyone. You saw Detroit going up 17-14 at half. Um, I, I think it was surprising a lot of Green Bay backers that it was that deficit going into halftime. Uh, certainly for someone that had the minus 11 ticket, um, happy that the second half turned it around. And, you know, the talent won out. Green Bay is a much more talented team than Detroit is. And you saw that in the second half come out, and they just blew the doors off of Detroit. There was no game, uh, no no chance that Detroit had there. It was a rebound game for Green Bay. The only thing that was a little surprising about it was the fact that the first half was as close as it was. Uh, but ultimately, moving forward to next week, you know, as far as Green Bay goes, um, I think they're worth a look, man. I, I know we mentioned it earlier, but I think it's worth a look, especially if you can get that um, the the hook there with the plus three and a half. Um, we haven't given it out yet, but that'll certainly be under consideration And when we write our um, upcoming article here that's uh, being released tomorrow. So we'll see what else will we give out. If you do want to get access to our full season package and pay for the season, uh, you can use code NFL15 to save $15 off your order. Just up on Twitter, you can find me again at Mad Journalist. That's M-A-D-D Journalist with two Ds. You can find Steve at Avoid the Vig on Twitter. Until then, let's have a profitable week three. Let's cash some tickets on Thursday Night Football, and we'll see you next time.